Well, hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. How is everybody doing tonight? I hope everyone is well on this Friday evening, January 28th, 2021. Oh, sorry, it's 20 dose, my bad. Uh, that is uh, 2022. And welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Sea Report. Coming to you live this evening in uh, full color, as they say, and on multiple podcast uh, platforms or live stream platforms, however you want to call them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, would include uh, our favorites like the foxhole.app, pill.net, clout hub, and Twitch. And uh, we welcome you all for joining us today. Thank you. As we uh, get into another night of uh, evening news, stories, reports, and uh, talk a little bit about the things that are going on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, first of all, uh, apologies, apologies for not being on the air yesterday for a Sea Report uh, episode uh, to uh, gab a little bit about the headlines and keep everyone abreast and stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know... Uh, for those of you who were awake late in the night, time hours, uh, we did do a special episode of uh, Mr. C in the Dark. And uh, absolutely, uh, Mr. C in the Dark is just one of those shows. Uh, it was uh, it was actually the 50th episode for Mr. C in the Dark. So, uh, you know, considering that we only do that show on the weekends and, uh, you know, we hadn't been quite as regular since I had a... Uh, had that uh, little bout of sickness uh, around uh, the holidays. Well, you know, it was great to be back on the air and just uh, kind of uh, kind of trying to fill in the shoes of the Sea Report last night. Man, we went for about four hours uh, continuing on the topic of uh, Human Trafficking Prevention and Awareness Month. For those of you uh, who are who are aware that that is what is going on, uh, specifically as... Uh, um, as a cause that is being recognized right now. So yeah, so uh, it was a really great, interesting, and uh, man, you know, uh, quite a topic to tackle. Uh, I would highly recommend for anyone who did not have the chance to check that out, to most definitely uh, uh, go back into any of our uh, replays or, you know, rebroadcasts and check it out. If you are on the podcast platform, we will get that uploaded shortly. Going to be a lot of editing on that one because, uh, again, like I said, it was about four hours worth of material. And, uh, man, we, uh, we dove all the way headlong into the case of uh, former FBI agent Tent Gunderson and uh, possible ties to uh, the Catholic Church, and uh, well, we're not going to get off into that topic, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what I will say is, uh, there were no real proven ties to the church. Uh, however, we did uh, we did um, uh, talk a lot about uh, some of the scandals uh, that have been going on within said institution. So it it was a very interesting uh, conversation overall. Learned a few things I didn't know myself, and then of course uh, highlighted some of those uh, some of those um, uh, terrible stories, unfortunately, uh, that uh, have taken place throughout uh, our history, most recently in regards to uh, the children and these uh, these terrible crimes that have been committed upon them. So uh, I'd highly recommend you uh, check it out. You can catch it over for sure at the foxhole.atpill.net and at clout hub. Uh, now, none of us whatsoever 
in this neighborhood, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, by neighborhood, I mean, uh, you know, this, these audiences and those who are on the platforms that actually get to see this show, uh, none of us really care to waste our time with the likes of uh, YouTube and Susan anymore. Um, well, you know, they, they actually just recently took down another backup channel that I had over there, which I thought rather... Uh, I was like, well, you know, while to be expected, I knew it was going to happen at some point. Uh, but... Um, who was it that I saw on one of my socials? I think it was Candace Owens. Now, I used to follow Candace Owens quite avidly back before she became popular. <laughs> well, she's always been popular in my book, ladies and gentlemen, but before she really blew up, and I, I don't mean, you know, when she got pregnant, I just mean when she got big. Again, I don't mean when she got pregnant. I just mean when, uh, you know, she was more uh, accepted and viewed within the patriots, the conservative, uh, the America First, uh, um, you know, ranks uh, as being a kind of a high stature amongst those who have a voice and a platform and a point of view worth listening to. Uh, I think it was on one of hers where she was talking about um, posting stories on one of her social media networks as well. One of the big ones, it was Instagram, I think maybe. And uh, she said, well, I don't post stuff there because um, uh, Instagram has it out for me really bad. And what they're doing is they're going back into content that I posted like four or five months ago and they're using that content to give me strikes and to ban me, so that's what she stopped doing. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of the content I had on that backup YouTube page for Mr. C, in fact, is was I have not posted anything new there in about two months or more. So uh, someone was digging, either that or one of you trolls out there, or, uh, or one of you supposed allies, ah, just kidding, uh, went and reported on my uh, backup page, and now... <laughs> Incidentally, my website uh, is just a wreck, ladies and gentlemen. So if you would like to go see the wreck that is my website, then I would encourage you to go over to thecreport.com tonight before I fix it up, and you can see exactly how broken it is. All right, this, <laughs> we might as well turn uh, uh, lemons into lemonade, right, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, so yeah, well, I'll be working on that anyways. You know, I was intending to get all of that fixed up in, or in order Anyways, I'm currently working on a third facelift for that website, and uh, well, we'll see where we go from there. Uh, there are some some measures I could take to prevent, uh, you know, the likes of linking over to a platform like YouTube, um, but that would require a little bit more funding, ladies and gentlemen, like uh, being able to actually um, host videos on the website platform that I use, or you know, just upload video content like that. Because, you know, it requires more memory, more data space, more bandwidth, all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm quite there yet, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm willing to look into some other avenues first uh, for linking up, you know, any kind of videos that I want to place on my uh, website there. Um, so we'll continue to look at some options and see where that goes from there. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe uh, possibly doing a type of upgrade on my website platform in tandem with uh, doing uh, streaming onto a platform like Rumble, eh, that might uh, that might solve the problem at least for the time being. At least I know Rumble will not, you know, uh, delete any of my videos, and then of course uh, it just be up to the trolls and haters 
uh, to report my website to the website host, which I don't think is, uh, I don't, that's not, uh, that's not beyond them, ladies and gentlemen, they'll do whatever they can to, uh, stifle the word. But again, you know, my reach is not as vast as others, but I don't know, maybe my message is more on point, uh, for them to have to, uh, quash such a small and, uh, and, uh, meaningless and, uh, you know, harmless outfit such as myself. So, uh, we'll take that as a merit badge, uh, for now and, uh, just to deal with the, uh, the minimal nuisance that that has caused. Anyways, guys, thanks again for joining us uh, tonight. We have a full house show for you all. Uh, we're going to be uh, concentrating on some specific topics tonight as we uh, get into tonight's report. There's a lot of news going on out there. Um, I think probably the biggest piece of news, or one of the biggest, uh, at least in my opinion, would have to do with what is going on in Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Canadians are coming for you, Trudeau. And that is, uh, whoa, man, that, you know, uh, okay, America, let's get with it. If uh, Canadians can get out there and uh, line the streets of, uh, or the highways of Ottawa for 43 plus miles, not to mention the convoys that are headed to the cap capital. Like, uh, we, we need to get our act together, America. Then again, then again, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it is good the way things are going at the moment, because, uh, after all, I don't think guns are as prevalent in, uh, Canada as they are here in America, and, uh, that's not Mr. C being a hater on guns. Oh, no, not by any means, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but if we had 43 miles of consecutive patriots and a convoy of trucks headed towards the capital, uh, you know that there's gonna be someone out there just itching to do a false flag, right? And, uh, even though I know a lot of our good-hearted and brave-spirited patriot brothers and sisters out there might have that little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a trigger, trigger itch. I don't think that any of us would do that to jeopardize our uh, position and our stance and also the advancement that we've made as uh, we are uh, moving along in this timeline, ladies and gentlemen. But someone out there, you know, someone out there would, uh, you know, be paid to do it or just crazy enough to do it or brainwashed enough to uh, cause such of a spectacle and a disaster in crowds like that. So um, maybe it's a good thing that that hasn't exactly happened here in America, but that time is coming. I am so sure about that, ladies and gentlemen. And well, you know, who knows? Maybe this whole thing will blow over before we get the chance to <laughs> really stand up against these uh, overbearing COVID mandates. But again, uh, America has not seen it the way Canada, Australia, and Europe has. And uh, that, entire, um, that entire apparatus that was once used to lock down the people of this world has basically fallen apart, you know, um, in, in, a, in a move that, you know, I dare say maybe uh, some of us did not expect to see coming this quick. Oh boy, is that day here as uh, several nations of this planet have decided to ban, not to ban, to abandon um, uh, the measures that were once being uh, uh, stricken upon them and enforced by a tyrannical uh, type of government, you know, so 
here, here for America, here, here for the world. So may maybe it'll fall apart completely before uh, Americans have the chance to uh, to try and outdo that convoy that those Canadians did. But uh, most definitely, uh, we will uh, continue to uh, hold that line, ladies and gentlemen. That's very, very encouraging indeed. Very encouraging indeed. So yes, um, a lot of other uh, stuff coming out today. I heard... I heard there was a uh, a bridge collapse in Pennsylvania. And I was like, well, gee, I mean, uh, I heard Biden was visiting over there too. So uh, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Or or maybe it's just, uh, maybe, maybe uh, Pennsylvania was trying to keep him out. <laughs> so the bridge went down. Uh, but no, I, that's probably not a funny joke to make right now. Too soon, you know, because uh, uh, um, several people were hurt from what I understand. And then... Uh, also, I heard there was a really good story of uh, of uh, humanity there, uh, people assisting and saving each other, um, uh, helping them get out of that situation. I don't know if there were any deaths yet. I didn't uh, get that far into uh, the headlines in that regard. I did see an interesting headline that I think would be worth exploring, and that had to do with, uh, I think it was a firefighter who had mentioned that he... Um, he uh, he heard a boom and then he heard the sounds of like a jet. So I was like, ooh, I need to bookmark that article and see if there's anything worth exploring or if they have any video. Uh, could it be uh, could it have been like a, a dirty job by, you know, some of these nefarious uh, actors out there that are trying to uh, help Joe save his <laughs> save something? I mean, what what can that man save anymore? I mean. He already lost his mind, so you, you can't really save something that's lost. Um, I don't know. Uh, he already lost his dignity. Uh, it splattered all over the Pope. So I don't know. I really, I really don't know what that man has left to save other than maybe, I don't know, uh, a few teeth or something like that. But um, yeah, a very, very, very interesting and uh, hopefully actually our prayers and uh, our... our uh, our love goes out to the people involved in that accident and also to anyone that had to deal with uh, illegitimate Joe while they, he was on the ground there in Pennsylvania. Why does he always visit Pennsylvania? It's uh, D.C., Pennsylvania, Delaware. D.C., Pennsylvania, Delaware. Like, that seems to be his Bermuda Triangle right there. And uh, he just can't get out of, that, uh, of that, those neighborhoods, I guess. I don't know. Okay, guys, so uh, we are going to uh, really barrel into uh, said topics for tonight. Um, first of all, we are going to talk about a little bit of that Ukraine-Russia situation because we just have to rub that in the face of the deep state department, of the NATO warmongers, and also of this failed administration. We need to rub it in, you know, I mean... Uh, I'm not the kind of person that likes to say, I told you so. And to be frank, in regards to this uh, entire Russia-Ukraine situation, I didn't really say I told you so. Uh, but, you know, as we have been exploring everything that's been happening uh, in that region of this planet, uh, we've been pointing out a lot of the, uh, the histories and a lot of the angles at which this could fall apart. Um, and the reason why it is, an exact, it is exactly a lie that has been uh, thrown upon the American people 
uh, for a big old distraction, basically is what this was amounting to. And uh, I think as we were going through all of this information that we shared with the viewers here and the listeners here at the Sea Report, the main thing that uh, the main undertone, the undercurrent that I was stressing the most in sharing what the news articles and the headlines were saying is that this is a fake news story. I mean, clearly, look at the history of Russia and Ukraine. Look at the history of NATO in that relationship. Look at the aggression that is coming out of uh, DC and uh, the mainstream media. And uh, that narrative has totally fallen apart to this day and time. So, uh, for the first uh, few moments of the show, I'm going to sit back and relish in uh, what is going on over there right now, uh, because after all, I think the main takeaway that we're going to have from this entire ordeal is that the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird media has been proven to be just that, fake news, ladies and gentlemen, and to what end were they doing it? Because uh, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and it wasn't my cookie jar, because you know I would have slapped that hand away if it were, but it was. it has most definitely been caught with one hand down the cookie jar and one hand, uh, you know, down the pants, or I don't know, the pants are on the floor at this point. Um, they're, they're shining a big old moon at the world and America, and I guess it's just going to be up to uh, the people of this country to uh, really be able to see that. Do you guys think that they can see how fake news this was? Um, well, well, we'll get into that in just a moment. And then, of course, um, as I uh, mentioned last night, uh, the majority of tonight's show, we're going to be barreling into the number one question and the number one concern that comes across all uh, all spectrums of patriots, whether that be uh, in the realms of the uh, social media platforms, if that be in the letters of concern and the calls of concern to their representatives and their senators, or if that be uh, in the chat rooms during live streams or in the comments during podcasts. And that concern is in regards to election integrity and all of the measures that we are doing for election fraud what about those darn voting machines, ladies and gentlemen? And the main reason why I really wanted to barrel into the topic of the voting machine in this country, ladies and gentlemen, is um, it's not because we're going to bring to you hard, brand new evidence uh, that voting machines are in fact um, uh, rigged and they can cause election fraud because we already know that it occurs here at the Sea Report. We've reported at length uh, and cited several examples based on several audits and also on several uh, investigations into the voting machines. When we consider the case of the Diebold machines, uh, whom are owned by Da, 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 was smart Smartmatic at this point. Uh, the Diebold machines that are used in the northeastern portion of this country, owned by Smartmatic. Okay, so uh, we've already we've already gone into those machines and talked about uh, the various methods of fraud that can be used in that way. We've already barreled into Antrim and into Michigan, where they use the Dominion machines and the way that fraud was used in that way, wherein they found that not only the Dominion machines provide a sixty-eight percent inaccuracy rate. 
straight forcing ballots into adjudication, which we all know, once they get adjudicated, they go into the hands of a supposedly nonpartisan, supposedly uh, um, uh, proud American that cannot be, uh, cannot be bought out, sold out, or compromised, and has total integrity to ensure that that adjudicated ballot goes in the stack that was uh, circled or filled in for the... Uh, uh, president um, or the uh, candidate of their choice. Not only that was found out in Michigan with the Dominion machines, but also in, Domi in Michigan, it was found out that they absolutely did have internet connectivity, which takes us over to Arizona, where we also saw in Arizona in the case of the Dominion machines that these machines could be accessed by the internet. Okay, so those are just some examples about why we're not going to be bringing you hard-hitting, brand-new, breaking news here about those voting machines tonight because after all guys we don't break the news here at the sea report we just share the news and uh you know i'll give you some of my amateur analysis along with that but um what we are going to do is we're going to take a trip down memory lane and we're going to look at the history of these voting machine companies and uh where they played a role in actually deciding how the election security um, uh, apparatus would be formulated and whom would be involved with that, which I think should raise a lot of questions. And I'm pretty sure I can bet on it that by the conclusion of tonight's report, uh, if you do not know this information or have not been aware of it before, if it's brand new to you, um, you will probably have and share the same concerns that I do, aside from the obvious uh, um, defections, if you want to call it that. I guess they wouldn't be, uh, you know, defections. Um, I guess they would be, I mean, if it's intended to be rigged, if it's intended you know, to, uh, to uh, skew the vote. Well, it's not defective. It's intentional, right? Uh, but, uh, but from that, we can also take a look at uh, uh, some of the players that go into that. So we'll be looking at, uh, we'll be looking at Sequoia, Heart InterCivic, uh, Dominion and Smartmatic tonight. So uh, like I said, this information is all out there you definitely can find it, but if you are a brand new listener to the Sea Report, or if you are freshly awake and uh, you know you're still getting like the nighttime boogies out of your eyes, uh, and you're like, "Oh wow, it's a different world out here." Uh, someone slipped me a red pill in my drink last night. You might not have heard this information, and uh, you know a lot of. The, I was quite interested to know as I was going through a lot of these articles that um, some of them are dated as far back as 2008, 2005, and uh, that just goes to show that there was already vast concerns about the efficacy and the security of these voting machines. And that, again, is the number one concern. Uh, like in Arizona, where they are, um, they are trying to pass laws that will uh, remove these voting machines from our electoral process altogether and return to paper, ball paper ballots and the good old, you know, you, you get your C-hole puncher, you get your Mr. C-hole puncher, and you go to that voting booth and you punch for your candidate ladies and gentlemen we don't need voting machines we need uh, we need paper ballots and a return to a hand count 
among a few other uh, items that would uh, definitely secure our voting process. And uh, I think we'll be right as rain. You know, Arizona definitely has it right. I think right now with all of the uh, all of the measures that they are trying to pass right now, and uh, we covered about seven or eight of those that were already were already passed in the Senate. So uh, that is a that is a step in the right direction, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm all for it. I'm on board with it. I am on board with it. And last I heard, Wendy Rogers, you know, I, I'm willing to bet that woman, Senator Rogers, is a very competitive spirit, you know, because she's getting up there saying, if Wisconsin can decertify electors, we should have done it first. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, we do think that should have been true, Wendy. But unfortunately, um, well, things just ain't going that way at the moment. But, uh, you know, it's like I said, uh, Wisconsin we're good. You know, Georgia, Georgia's very close. Pennsylvania's hanging out in the same rink as, uh, as Georgia is, I think. Uh, but, uh, Arizona, Arizona will decertify as soon as that second state hits that decertification button and, uh, or the recall button, if you want to get technical. And, uh, I'm sure we will see three states play almost at once, once the ball gets rolling. Or maybe, who knows, maybe a state that we were not expecting to at all will just jump out of the blue. Wouldn't that be a God bless? Like, that would be a godsend. Like, I did not see this one coming, you know, kind of like I didn't see Wisconsin moving forward to certification. If anyone could have guessed that Wisconsin was going to decertify, they're full of it. Like, <laughs> because they had a much harder time doing that than any other state uh, that is in play right now, especially in the area of fraud, um, which is why I think that decertification move had more to do with uh, Representative Rantham being pissed off that uh, Robin Voss did that to him. And that was just a tit for tat. He's like, you're going to do that to me? Oh, let me show you what I'm going to do. And he did it. And uh, they got the yay vote. And uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that, uh, that, that pretty much sent a signal to the rest of the Wisconsin legislature. I'm sure that um, these measures could in fact happen. Uh, not like what you got going on in Arizona where you have, well, you know, actually it is the same thing. Because in Wisconsin, you do have like with Steinecke, uh, for, forget Voss. We know he's lost to us. He's beyond redemption. But like in, uh, in Arizona, you have that one senator, was it Blackwell or something like that? No, rep uh, representative. Uh, and this is the blessing here, right, guys? This is the blessing. Take this as a blessing, okay? That uh, they are going to show themselves, guys. So when you have, uh, when you have representatives in your state, uh, especially if they are supposed Republicans or conservatives, and they start saying things like, there's no way that we can decertify, it's unconstitutional, um, they're telling you who they are. And it is most definitely up to us to, uh, to see that. Uh, thing about it is, yeah, we can see it now and, uh, we're paying attention. We know what it means, you know, so, uh, that's, that is an absolute blessing. So let them come out now and, uh, let them, uh, let them, let them complain and let them say it's unconstitutional. Let them, uh, let them treat us like we don't understand how the document that is our constitution works and its purpose and what its function is aside from setting up government, right? So, uh, we'll, we'll, We'll leave that there for now. 
And uh, we'll leave that, uh, you know, I wonder if that representative in Arizona's wife is his political advisor, right? She's like, how the hell could you say that in an interview? <laughs> he got in trouble. You know, he's sleeping on the couch right now. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, guys, okay, so we got uh, we got a lot of ground to cover in those two topics we'll be focusing in on tonight. I thank you all for joining us again. I see uh, Relanon and Persnick hanging out over there in uh, the chat rooms at uh, Pilled. Uh, thanks for joining us, Relanon. Thank you for the 117 gold pills. And if you're joining us live on Clout Hub and Twitch, thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, your, pre your presence and your attendance is absolutely appreciated. Now, uh, for tonight's show, uh, our news articles and reports will be brought to you by Breitbart, The Epoch Times, G News, Bear Witness Central, Patriot Patel, DW News, CX News, Fort Roos News, and The Insider. And we will also have a few dishonorable mentions from the likes of CNN, eh, The Huffington Post, the Wall Street Journal, ABC News, the U.S. Sun, and Cyber Sharaft. So uh, let's go ahead and barrel into it post-haste, ladies and gentlemen, and let's see what we got. We're starting with a President Trump statement. Oh, that is not President Trump. <laughs> Let me fix my uh, little flappers here. There's President Trump. Oh, you know what's coming up next, right? Okay, so here we go, guys. Let's talk Trump. What has Trump got to say for us today? Oh, wrong button. Okay. Uh, in his statement for today, ladies and gentlemen, the 28th of January, President Trump says, big news out of Pennsylvania. Ah, oh, yes. How could I forget? President Trump is making my job so easy. The practice of no excuse mail-in ballots, but in places by Democrats right before the stolen 2020 election has been ruled unconstitutional by the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court. Here is the key question. If widespread mail-in balloting is unconstitutional in Pennsylvania now, how could mail-in balloting have been constitutional in the rigged 2020 presidential elections? We all know the answer. It wasn't. All American patriots are thanking the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania for having the courage to do the right thing. Ah, yes, good stuff indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Good stuff coming out, uh, coming off the desk of the Speak Uneasy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is not even the Speak Uneasy's desk. I saw you pop up there in the chat. Thanks for joining us, Speak Uneasy. Thank you for the cookie. Coming off the desk of the president. Don't feel too flattered now, Mr. Speak Uneasy. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so uh, good, great news, guys. So we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, we're seeing things come in stride in a few states, right? Uh, Wisconsin also just recently voted mail-in boxes, ballot boxes as being unconstitutional. So uh, that is another, you know, up, another plus, another win for us. That's great. We're, we're going to return to the rule of law here and not the rule of the wild, wild commissioner, mayor, city councilman West, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, those people that just think that they can, uh, they can slap whatever laws that they want to 
on a, on whatever situation. I mean, it's like they say, if, if they're able to break the constitution under the guise of emergency status or emergency laws, uh, they're going to create emergencies all the time just to break the constitution as much as they want. And that is actually a game plan that we have seen them use over the years. That's how we are where we are today in a lot of different aspects of our life, including our personal life, which is uh, frequently getting invaded, our privacy, etc. So uh, great news coming out of Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, again, you know, like uh, Pennsylvania, I mean, they have a, they have a, a, a ballot review, uh, uh, an election review going on of 2020. Uh, we'll see, we'll see where pro tempore, uh, you know, um, uh, Corman, we'll see what he does, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I have a, a, a little less faith in him than I do in others. Uh, but, uh, I mean, time will tell. Time will definitely tell. Now we can look at the faces of uh, Putin and Zelensky. Zelensky! Okay, well, guys, I mean, it it's great. It's just... It's great, in my opinion, uh, to see what's happening over there. Now, to anyone who's been paying attention to the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy mockingbird media, it's probably like, oh no, what are we going to do? Um, they're going to kill the poor little Ukrainians, right? I don't know. Take a look at this picture, guys. Zelensky looks satisfactorily smug, and Putin just looks like... <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, happy or up to something, or maybe he just broke wind. I don't know, <laughs> but he he looks pretty darn happy to me. Uh, this is not a recent photo, by the way, but it was just one that uh, most uh, most most accurately demonstrated how I feel right now. So, <laughs> but anyhow, so uh, getting right into um, what was go what is going on in the Ukraine Russia debacle which is, doesn't seem like it's that much of a debacle anymore. Uh, we have, uh, um, we've had talks between uh, Zelensky's people and uh, Putin's people uh, occurring in France, ladies and gentlemen, and a ceasefire that uh, um, calls back to the Minsk agreements uh, have been uh, talked about in what was an eight hour plus meeting between the two representatives and uh, the two representatives of each country, respectively speaking. Uh, but from what I understand and what I read, uh, there was nothing finite, and it was actually a kind of an arduous type of, uh, of talks going on between the two. Uh, but a ceasefire was negotiated um, at this point, and uh, they are due to have another round of talks, I think this time in Germany, or what's coming up next would be in Germany. Um, but effectively speaking, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Zelensky and Putin decided to have this, uh, ha decided to have this um, um, uh, conversation minus the presence of an American or United States mediator or negotiator however you want to put it, but uh, USA is out on this matter, and uh, I don't think it's making them very happy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll take a look at our first dishonorable mention for the night. This is an article from the Wall Street Journal, and the uh, headline reads, Fresh Russia-Ukraine Talks 
point to possible off-ramp in crisis. Uh, and uh, this was published on the 27th, so that was yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. And it's so funny because um, I had pulled up a whole bunch of articles probably earlier in the day yesterday, and again, they're talking all about exactly how uh, bad this uh, aggression is and the imminence of uh, Putin striking into Ukraine. And uh, it just, it's, it's, I'm sorry, Joe, it's not happening, okay? Uh, let's see what this article says so it can uh, give us a little bit more insight. Two sides are in discussion to revive a dormant agreement that Ukraine fears could represent a Trojan horse to give Russia sway in its future. So uh, already this, uh, this entire title has a lean to it. Uh, do they mean that um, they're going to revive a document that Ukraine currently fears? Uh, is being used as a Trojan horse or a dormant agreement that Ukraine used to fear, you know. And if if in, if indeed they're going to revive this dormant agreement, why the hell would Ukraine agree to it, right? It makes no sense. So uh, again, this is a dishonorable mention. The the was the Washington Journal again or Wall Street Journal. Um, so it says here, um, when a Russian-backed offensive dealt a heavy blow to Ukrainian army in February 2015, Kiev signed up to deal to a deal that could give Moscow a significant say in Ukraine's future. Uh, that's what they say. The so-called Minsk II agreement has since remained dormant. Now, after a long freeze, senior Ukrainian and Russian officials are talking about implementing the Minsk II Accords once again, with France and Germany seeing this process as a possible off-ramp that would allow Russian President Vladimir Putin a face-saving way to de-escalate. French President Emmanuel Cavron, I mean Macron, is slated to talk to Mr. Putin on Friday as he seeks a diplomatic solution to the crisis. Reviving Minsk II, something that Moscow has long presented as its key goal in Ukraine, could deliver Mr. Putin in a political victory without bloodshed. Um, and it says here as well, uh, from the French standpoint, it's a win-win situation. If it works, war will have been prevented. And if it does not work, Macron will be seen as having tried his utmost to prevent war, which is a lot more than we can say about Biden and the deep state department and NATO. Right. See, they, they're not even concerned about optics in on the world stage, this NATO and this uh, deep state department, uh, because clearly they have something to uh, something to hide and cover up is why they wanted this war. Uh, so that was said by Francois Heisberg a special advisor at the Foundation for Strategic Research in Paris. Ukraine's national security advisor, um, Andriy Yermak, and Russia's point man on Ukraine, Dmitry Kozak, met with their French and German counterparts to discuss Minsk II for eight hours on Wednesday in Paris and agreed to meet again in Berlin in two weeks. There has been no tangible progress, but the fact that Moscow and Kiev are negotiating constitutes a positive development, diplomats and officials say. Putin is trying to frighten us with a great war, and now we understand that for at least two more weeks there won't be war as long as the diplomats talk the guns remain silent, said Ukrainian lawmaker Ole Oleksiy Goncharenko. Well, I don't know where you get your news from, Mr. Goncharenko. Uh, but uh, it says that he added, however, that he doesn't expect any breakthrough in Berlin because Moscow's and Kiev's positions are so far apart. Russia's point man on Ukraine, Dmitry Kozak, right? The point man, right? 
A German official agreed, saying that the talks on Minsk II could buy time for further diplomacy, even if they are unlikely to be fruitful. Mr. Kozak said the negotiations in Paris had made practically zero progress, but also described the conversation as not easy, but for the first time, so frank. Moscow has a ama- okay. Moscow amassed all this stuff. They did this annexation that's been covered up. Um, okay, and then they talk about the Donbass region. Talks about uh, Minsk one. So, one of the Minsk two agreements provisions calls for constitutional changes to decentralize political power in Ukraine that would have to be coordinated with the representatives of the Donetsk and Luhansk authorities. Ukrainian officials view this clause as a Trojan horse that could allow Moscow to wield a veto over the country's setup and strategic ailment via these proxies. Okay, so let's dissect that for a minute. Constitutional provisions that would change a decentralization of political power in Ukraine, and it would have to be coordinated with the representatives of that those two regions of the Ukraine. Okay, so... Uh, what we have understood about Ukraine and this area, this is the Don- Donbass region, and you have, uh, I guess in here, you have Don- Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, it-, it has been said that what? Uh, there are um, separatists in that area. Uh, there are people who want to be part of Russia again, but uh, it has been said that these are uh, Russian-backed and uh, Russia went in there and sent in their troops. Um, uh, where Crimea had a referendum and a vote, uh, this looks like it's playing out differently from that uh, from that point of view. But the point of the matter here is, according to this article, Ukraine, according to these reports, not according to what Ukraine says, but according to this report, Ukraine believes that any of the representatives in those two areas will be of Russian influence or that they will be under duress by Russia in order uh, when they're negotiating. So this is why it says that they think this is a Trojan horse that Russia is going to exploit, basically. Um, okay, so moving right along, it says this, however, is the 11th of the 13 of the agreement's 13 clauses. And Ukraine has insisted that the provisions, the previous 10 must be implemented first, starting with a comprehensive ceasefire and followed by a prisoner exchange, the restoration of Kiev's control over the border between Russia and the Donetsk and Luhansk territories, and the removal of all foreign forces and mercenaries. Russia says the priority must be on passing legislation to give the Donetsk and Luhansk territories broad autonomy within the Ukraine. So therein you also see this as being a Trojan horse for Russia, because uh, say, say the people of Donetsk and Luhansk actually do want to separate from the Ukraine and actually do want to be part of Russia. Say they are just like the people of, the, of, of Crimea. Say they want to do a referendum. Say that they feel that their heritage has always been Russian as they had been for probably almost 100 years or more prior to, uh, the, prior to um, the Ukraine's formation and then also uh, to Ukraine also surrendering to the European Union. Say they don't want to be a part of the European Union. So that is always a possibility and a narrative that we're not seeing here, guys. Uh, But that is definitely a possibility, um, particularly if they're feeling apprehensive. uh, Ukraine is feeling apprehensive to that notion. The joint uh, communique 
issued in Paris on Wednesday called for an unconditional observance of the ceasefire, regardless of differences over how to interpret the deal, with large-scale fighting uh, with, while large-scale fighting has largely stopped since 2015, artillery and sniper exchanges along the contact line continue daily, with frequent casualties on both sides. Uh, the Minsk process in, isn't Russia's only option when it comes to Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, legislation making its way through the Russian parliament would officially recognize the Donetsk and the Luhansk People's Republics as independent nations, the way Moscow re recognized Georgia's breakaway, breakaway provinces of South Ossetia and Ab Abkhazia in 2008. Since the Luhansk and Donetsk republics also claim the two-thirds of the Luhansk and Donetsk regions that they don't actually control, that could open the way for more overt Russian support for further offenses and for supplying these statelets with even more advanced weaponry. Leading Russian lawmakers this week uh, called for such weapons shipments. So very, very much a quagmire over there, ladies and gentlemen. That is a picture of separatist soldiers who participated in a city celebration in Luhansk. Separ separatists. They don't want to be part of Ukraine, these people here. They want to be their own country or maybe go back to Russia. Uh, Russia portrays the conflict in eastern Ukraine as a civil war and its key demand all along has been for Kiev to negotiate with the leadership of the Donetsk and Luhansk republics directly. Ukrainian officials say that the Donetsk and Luhansk governments, most of whose members carry Russian passports, oh, well, I mean, that pretty much sums it up right there, are the marionettes of the Russian security services. So those leaders have Russian passports. I mean, Ukraine was part of Russia in the past. Anyways, okay, uh, we'll, we'll move along for that before I get a brain fart. Uh, representatives of the occupied territories have a Russian soldier with a gun behind their back. We cannot hold direct talks with them because Ukraine's public opinion will never accept it and will consider it as cap capitulation. Uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky or anyone else yielding to such demands would face trouble and a possible upheaval on the streets, said political analyst Konstantin Batotsky who served as advisor to the Kiev-appointed governor of Donetsk in 2014. The question will be, if we could have surrendered so easily, then why 15,000 Ukrainians had to die in this war? So I guess with so much blood loss, they just don't want to uh, cave in. And uh, for the sake of optics and politics, not that it's excusable, but it's understandable, the Minsk II agreements call for elections of new authorities in the Donetsk and Luhansk areas that are currently under Russian control, but only after all foreign forces are withdrawn and Kiev regains control of the region's borders. Those elections are supposed to be held under Ukrainian laws, uh, with the participation of Ukrainian political parties that are currently banned in the breakaway republics. You can't have elections if you don't control the borders. It's a total contradiction, a German official said. Oh boy, can we relate to that, Mr. German official? When Mr. Zelensky took office in 2019, he made ending the war a priority and promised to move forward on the Minsk II implementation, agreeing prisoner swaps, including the release of a famous Ukrainian film director who had been held by Russia, 
through these conciliatory steps, as well as by making a $2.9 billion payment in a gas deal with Ukraine, Mr. Putin was hoping to nudge Mr. Zelensky to implement Minsk II on Moscow's terms. A former senior advisor to the Ukrainian leader said Russia was paying it forward. Pressure from Ukraine's public opinion, however, prevented Mr. Zelensky from delivering, giving up on hopes that the Ukrainian leader could be wooed. Mr. Putin has since uh, chosen to escalate, authorizing the current military deployment around Ukraine. Okay, okay, Wall Street Journal. I'm willing to call on that one uh, because he's been escalating uh, before that, right? Yeah. Uh, Don't forget about NATO there. Yeah, you're leaving that out of the narrative. I mean, yeah, maybe it is to support the separatist uh, breakaway republics, but uh, there is also that security threat from NATO. So there you have it from the uh, dishonorable mention that is the Wall Street Journal, a little bit of a view on what was going on in those talks and a little bit of history and inside baseball about what is uh, steering these conversations. So we'll turn over to this article that comes out of DW.com. Uh, this is uh, actually a, uh, a German uh, a publication, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it says here, Russia-Ukraine agreed to uphold ceasefire in Normandy talks. So uh, there is a currently a ceasefire over there, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, well, I think that was what? Step one of the Minsk II agreements. So uh, that looks good. That bodes well. And as long as Biden and NATO are out of it, I think it is... Uh, Superb. Uh, So let's see what it says here. Moscow said talks with Ukrainian, German, and French officials were not simple, but despite their differences, they backed a 2014 ceasefire in eastern Ukraine, even as troops ready for war on both sides of the border. A service member of the Ukrainian armed forces walks at... Oh, that's that's a caption. Pardon me. With tensions spiraling in Eastern Europe, Ukraine, and Russia, held talks Wednesday at the Elysee Elysee Palace. I don't speak French, guys. Anyways, okay. (laughs) Uh, In Paris, alongside representatives from Germany and France under the Normandy format. It is the first time such talks, which took place in an, an advisory capacity, were held since 2019. It is also the first time since Moscow's latest military buildup began on Ukraine's border. The move has stoked fears of a much wider incursion into Ukraine beyond the industrial eastern region known as Donbass, which is controlled by Russia-backed separatists. Ahead of the talks, uh, Andriy Yermak, an advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr uh, Zelensky, said that the meeting was a strong signal of readiness for a peaceful settlement. As the talks were underway in Paris, French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian told the French Senate, we are ta- taking all the necessary initiatives to trigger a de-escalation process. So how did the talks conclude? Uh, the meetings lasted for more than eight hours. Kremlin envoy Dmitry Kozak said the talks were not simple, but there was one common ground. He said that despite all the differences in, interpreta- in interpretations, we agreed that the ceasefire in eastern Ukraine must be maintained by all the parties in line with the accords. Kozak was referring to the Minsk Agreement, which was signed under the Normandy format, which got its name after representatives from the four nations met during the 2014 D-Day celebrations in Normandy, France. Um, 
Okay, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that is some weird. Okay, uh, military buildup continues on Russia-Ukraine border. Uh, okay, so the envoys uh, support un uncon unconditional respect for the ceasefire and full adherence to the ceasefire strengthening measures of July 22nd, 2020, regardless of differences on other issues relating to the implementation of the Minsk agreements at the Ilyse. Um, Russia and Ukraine signed the Minsk Agreement in 2014 and 2015. Although major combat came to an end after the agreement, some periodic clashes still occurred. Uh, over the years, both Russia and Ukraine have repeatedly accused the other of violating the ceasefire that sought to defuse conflict between Ukrainian forces and pro-Russian separatists. Lili Say said the parties agreed to meet for further dialogue in two weeks in Berlin. Uh, we hope our colleagues have understood our arguments and that in two weeks we will achieve results. Gustave Grassel, a security policy expert from the European Council on Foreign Relations, ah, yeah, we really want to hear from you, told DW that it is unclear what impact the diplomatic process will have on the situation along the Russian-Ukraine border. The threats against Ukraine have been pretty consistent. Uh, this person from Council on Foreign Relations said... So we're going to go ahead and skip that because that's more fear-mongering. Uh, why was the meeting held? Uh, Wednesday's midday meeting was set to focus on humanitarian efforts and the possibility of, possibility of formal talks on the status of the Donbass region. Russian-backed separatists control the territory, though Moscow denies any connection to the proxy forces. Since last November, the U.S. and Europe have publicly asserted there is intelligence concerning a Russian military buildup. Fear-mongering, fear-mongering, fear-mongering. There's a map of their fear-mongering. And uh, let's see here. The intelligence prompted concerns that Russia was, yep, yep, yep. Uh, they're going to they're gonna sack Kiev, aren't they, Biden? Uh, so, uh, okay. So I think we're good here. At the beginning of January, Germany and France attempted trilateral talks with representatives of both nations, shuttling between Kiev and Moscow, but without the four parties sitting down altogether at once. Okay. So, um, should Germany change tack? What are the latest developments? Uh, the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine on Wednesday urged Americans to consider leaving. Okay, we know that. Uh, uh, Deputy Secretary of the Deep State, Wendy Sherman, said, uh, we certainly see every indication that Russian president will use military forces. Fear-mongering, fear-mongering. Uh, U.S. and NATO delivered more fear-mongering. Um, let's see here. Russia and uh, Russia on Wednesday threatened retaliatory measures if its security demands were not met. Um, let's see, Tuesday, Joe Biden. Okay, so we, we're pretty much caught up in this regard. 8,500 troops, we talked about that on Monday. Uh, from the United States heading that way, they're there now. Um, and better, oh no, they're on alert now, I apologize. The warships are there now. Um, okay, so I think we're good in that section. Oh, well, let's let's see about the Donbass area real quick. This is where those uh, those breakaway republics are. Um, the eastern Donbass has been occupied along with Crimea since 2014, following months-long protests in central Kiev Square, known as Maidan. Okay, now that's another interesting one to talk about, guys, because let's not forget the revolution, the Maidan revolution, that was a Western-backed coup that installed Poroshenko, who was a very corrupt man who, who worked for the president prior to, who was also just as corrupt, if, if not more so. Um, those pro and that's very key for where we're going with this tonight, guys. Don't forget about that. Uh, those protests culminated in the deaths of dozens of Ukrainians who were shot and killed by the country's security forces, which led the former Russian-backed leader Viktor Yanukovych, 
fleeing to Rostov-on-Don in Russia. Okay, Russian-backed leader. Interesting. Okay, um, the UN reports more than 14,000 deaths in the nearly eight-year-old conflict. <laughs> Biden. It would change. We don't care what Biden has to say, ladies and gentlemen. He's totally been booted from this conversation. Okay, guys, so let's talk a little bit now. So there, that's, that's what was going on. Those, that's the technical stuff. Th those are the conversations. That is the talk uh, that was going on at this meeting. So now we know the inside baseball, right? We're not just hearing the headlines and, oh, you know, they're talking and they kicked Joe Biden out. Well, that's what was going on. That's what they talked about. They're meeting again in two weeks in Berlin. Now you know. So let's, let's talk about now where this starts to fall apart for NATO and the Biden administration and the fake news media. This is where it starts to unravel for them, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to sit here and relish and share this news with you. Granted, we don't know where this is going to go moving forward. You know, we don't know, honestly, but uh, but can we live in the moment? Uh, let, let us really feel the the uh the satisfaction of this moment because because it is this emotion and this energy that we need to have in order to propel our hopes our dreams our wishes our projections and our future forward because that's how it's going to feel when we win this guys oh satisfaction oh happiness so uh hold on to it while we're winning guys so we can feel it more often uh, this is from Breitbart. Zelensky prioritizes Ukraine's financial stability in Biden call as Russia panic threatens economy. Okay, so what are you talking about, Breitbart? What are you talking about? Okay, there's Mr. Zelensky. Uh, so Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told American counterpart Joe Blow Biden to place emphasis on the economic and financial stability of the country during a phone call Thursday following multiple public statements urging the Ukrainian public not to fall prey to panic about a potential Russian invasion fueled by Biden. Zelensky's office published an extended readout of the conversation between the president and Biden on Friday, Kiev time, after an anonymous report in CNN fueled rumors not diminished by Zelensky's dour, infuriated expression in government photos of the call that the two leaders struggled to see eye to eye. Oh, CNN, you and your fake news getting called out on the world stage. An initial CNN anonymous report claimed that a hysterical Biden, and we can picture him being hysterical, right? That's pretty easy for the American public to believe. A hysterical Biden warned Zelensky that Russian leader Vladimir Putin could sack Kiev hundreds of miles from the Russian border, while an exasperated Zelensky urged Biden to calm his ass down. Both the White House and the government of Ukraine denied the CNN account. The emphasis on financial stability over any fears of another Russian invasion indicate, however, that Zelensky's priorities for his country at the moment do differ from the White House's interpretation of them. Hmm. The president of Ukraine stressed the importance of supporting the economic and financial stability of our country in the current situation. The Kiev readout read, the leaders discussed concrete steps by the United States to increase financial support for Ukraine, 
both bilaterally and by involving international financial institutions. The readout repeatedly stated that Zelensky thanked Biden and expressed gratitude to the United States and personally to Joseph Biden for sending military and humanitarian aid to the country. It also celebrated the alleged good dynamics between the United States and Ukraine under the two leaders. The White House readout emphasized America's alleged resolve to respond decisively if Russia further invades Ukraine. Sounds like Antony Blinken uh, over helping Ukraine remain financially stable and thus less vulnerable to foreign threats. President Biden noted the United States has provided Ukraine with over half a billion dollars in development and humanitarian assistance in the last year and is exploring additional macroeconomic support to help Ukraine's economy amidst pressures resulting from Russia's military buildup, the White House asserted. That kind of makes me think that uh, Biden's like this. He's like, hey, you were supposed to put that billion dollars in your bank account, Zelensky. Where's my war? You know that weird whispering thing he does? I don't do it quite as well as Biden. Yeah, he's probably, he was like, why didn't you put that in your bank account, Zelensky? You're supposed to give me a war, Zelensky. Yeah, well, sorry, Biden. America's support for longtime ally Ukraine against a potential Russian invasion came into question last week when Biden told reporters that he saw no need to aid Ukraine in the event of a minor incursion. Okay, so this is kind of going to go over what they didn't they talked about last week. Um... Then it reminds you about how Russia invaded Crimea to to uh, back up their referendum. I don't know. Why, why would they do that? Okay, anyways. Uh, so it says here, uh, Zelensky's initial response to Biden's panicked predictions of an imminent Russian invasion was a nationally televised speech in which, in which he asked the public, didn't the invasion start in 2014? What's this crazy old man talking about? These risks have existed for more than a year and they haven't increased, Zelensky said last week. What has increased is the hype around them. Take a deep breath. Calm down. Zelensky's defense minister, Oleski Reznikov, Reznikov uh, issued a nearly identical message in remarks to the Ukrainian parliament, the Verkhovna Rada, on Friday, stating that intelligence on the ground near the Russian border does not indicate that Moscow will try to invade the country in the near future. At present, there are no events or actions of military nature which would differ significantly from what happened last spring, Reznikov said, according to Ukrainian state media outlet Ukrainform. The only difference in military terms that we are following is the situation in Belarus. What is radically different is the intensity of hybrid measures, primarily informational ones, as well as the impact of these measures on the macroeconomic situation. Reznikov attributed the discrepancy between the White House messaging and the tone of the Ukrainian government to the fact that Ukraine uses data on the area of Russian military concentration of up to 200 kilometers. These data more accurately reflect the trends, Ukraine, Ukraine form paraphrased Reznikov as saying. Ukrainian officials have also consistently emphasized that a collapse in the currency or similar economic devastation triggered by Russia panic would be a necessary precursor to any successful invasion. Okay, The collapse of the currency or a similar economic devastation in Ukraine triggered by Russia, panic would be necessary 
for a, necess- uh, a precursor to... So, yep. So, I mean, they understand how war works. Why is it that... Uh, yeah, why even ask the question? Why is it that we're having America worried more about Ukraine than Ukraine is worried about Ukraine, right? Could it be because maybe uh, America was going to, you know, set off the bombs? If they Were, were they going to do a false flag? Were they going to try and, you know, pull some kind of Tonkin incident over there to get, uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine to fight? Who knows? It says, today, according to all intelligence reports that coincide with those of the, the, the United States, Britain, and other partners, internal destabilization is number one issue. National Security and Defense Council Secretary Oletsky Danilov said on Tuesday, without internal destabilization, the Russians have nothing to do here. They bet on the issue of internal destabilization. Danilov pointedly said at the time that the Russian troop movements near the Ukrainian border were a big issue for Washington, but not news for us. And I gotta say, guys, that really makes me wonder if this entire time that they've been talking about Russians amassing on the border, was that all made up from the jump? Like, uh, they, they started talking about this in, like, what, the end of December, right? I mean, I have a couple of articles but, uh, I mean, they've been amassing troops since, like, April of 2021, okay? Um, so, uh, could that all have been fake news, guys? I mean, I mean, we knew there were talks between Zelensky and Biden happening. Uh, we knew that uh, in the press and, and according to our, uh, our deep state department officials, they were talking about it. Uh, we know international press was talking about it, but they're also a mockingbird. Um, so... I don't know, guys. Were we played for a foo? <laughs> uh, this other article from Breitbart released the transcript calls grow as White House Ukraine dispute CNN rumors on Biden Zelensky phone call. So um, this is CNN getting caught in the act right here. Uh, totally caught in the act uh, because uh, both the White House and Ukraine are at odds with what CNN reported. And then that report, the one specifically talking about uh, the sacking of Kiev, etc., was pulled, apparently, from CNN. Um, so that begs another question, you know, like, uh, did they get bad information? I doubt it. Or were they uh, trying to move the narrative? Were they trying to pull um, uh, a Justice Breyers on uh, Biden? They're like, and, and Zelensky? Did they think that if they made this report that Zelensky would capitulate and be like, oh, CNN said we're going to get our, you know, our, our tail sacked and, uh, you know, and then just steamroll them? You know, uh, it's a good question to ask here. So uh, we're examining that right now. Let's let's see what this contradiction is all about. Uh, release a transcript calls grows White House Ukraine dispute CNN rumors on Biden Zelensky phone call. So, like, uh, they have their own phone call. Hmm. The White House on Thursday contradicted CNN's reporting about President Biden's phone conversation with Ukrainian President Volodymyr uh, Zelensky. Uh, The confusion regarding Thursday night's conversation caused hashtag release the transcripts to trend on Twitter, a hashtag originally pushed by the left to call for the release of the transcript of a similar phone call between Zelensky and President Donald Trump in 2019. Now, might I just say, if all of the digital warriors have been banned and censored off of platforms like Twitter, who is uh, causing these uh, hashtags to trend? Uh, 
because it's not me. <laughs> I think that's another uh, another signal that's uh, kind of good right there, guys. Democrats alleged that Trump had committed impeachable. Well, we don't need to talk about that. We already know about that, Gur. Okay, so CNN citing an anonymous source in Ukraine originally reported that Biden told Zelensky on Thursday afternoon the Ukrainian capital would be sacked and occupied by Russia in February after the ground froze. Uh, the report also claimed that Biden said he would send no further aid in the form of U.S. military personnel or advanced military equipment if Russia attacked, echoing Biden's published statement, claiming that the U.S. would not help in the event of a minor incursion. In addition, CNN initially claimed that the meeting between the two presidents went poorly and that Zelensky allegedly told Biden to calm down after Biden maintained a Russian invasion was imminent. The Ukrainian government and Zelensky personally have repeatedly stated in public they have no reason to believe this is true. Zelensky also told the Ukrainian public to calm down in a speech last week after Biden's minor incursion comment. After CNN's initial report, the CNN reporter covering the phone call deleted her tweet detailing the Biden-Zelensky conversation. Just before the tweet was deleted, the White House National Secretary, a security spokeswoman, Emily Horn, issued a statement indicating CNN's report was not true. President Biden said that there is a distinct possibility that the Russians could invade Ukraine in February, she said. Reports of anything more or different than that are completely false. The White House further told CNN that the alleged Ukrainian anonymous source was leaking falsehoods. The Ukrainian readout of the call between the president said Biden would provide assistance to Ukraine in the form of lethal defensive weapons, contradicting CNN. The White House's readout from the call omits Biden's alleged promise to provide advanced military equipment. The discrepancy between Biden, uh, what Biden promised or did not promise caused hashtag release the transcripts to trend on Twitter. Users on Twitter noted that Democrats demanded Trump release the transcript of his call with Zelensky in 2009. So very interesting. And uh, it raises questions. At, I mean, well, I mean, if you if you care to entertain them, it raises questions uh, because uh, what's up with that? Right. What's what is up with the CNN White House thing here, guys? Like uh, I thought they worked together. Right. Or, uh, I mean, or, or, cause like I said, you know, uh, all we heard from everybody and their grandma was that, uh, you know, Ukraine was going to Biden asking for help, asking for support, asking for sanctions, asking for this and that, like a little child who needed the help from his big old daddy, Pedo Joe. Right. And, and now it's like a totally different conversation. Did Zelensky really play Biden? Because I have a feeling that if Zelensky did play Biden, wouldn't they say that? Wouldn't they be like, I don't know how, I don't know if that would fit into their, their little war game here. Uh, I don't know if that would be beneficial, if that's true, you know, like uh, that Zelensky was crying and complaining. And then all of a sudden he's like, what the hell are you talking about, Willis? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Oh, this is just a hoot and a holler, guys. I'm having such a good time. Okay, uh, I'm going to play this clip since it was deleted. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure half the world has seen it because uh, you know what they say, what happens in Vegas stays on the internet. So uh, you know what they say, when you have fake news, it don't go away. Uh, so I'm just going to play this. And also for the audience who has not seen and or heard it, uh, this, is that, uh, this is that piece uh, from, uh, from Ukraine. Well, I mean, allegedly from Ukraine, right? The guy's probably standing in front of a green screen with a light above his head that looks like the moon. Uh, so it's probably not that at all. Uh, but uh, this, is, uh, this is that piece, y'all. So let's check it out just for two minutes and 43 seconds. No more than that, guys. We have breaking news for you in our world lead. A senior Ukrainian official tells CNN that today's phone call between President Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, quote, did not go well. Our source tells CNN that the two disagreed about the immediacy of the threat of a Russian attack on Ukraine. The White House and Pentagon have been emphatic that they believe an attack could be imminent. We should note the White House just released its own readout of that call, and there was no mention of President Biden's warnings or the two presidents' disagreements. The White House did say Biden underscored America's commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty. CNN's Matthew Chance joins us now live from Kiev, Ukraine with more. Matthew, what more are you learning about this disagreement on the Biden-Zelensky call? How heated did it get? Uh, I'm not sure I could characterize how heated it got, but there was definitely a disagreement about the sort of level of risk that the country is facing uh, when it comes to a, a Russian invasion. On the one hand, you've got President Biden. This is according to an official who briefed me on the, on the conversation that was had on the telephone call uh, this evening. On the one hand, President Biden saying the threat is imminent. I mean, we've heard this before. The Ukrainians pushing back on that, saying that the, uh, the threat, according to their intelligence analysts, is a bit more ambiguous than that. And it's, a, it's possible that there won't be an invasion, whereas uh, President Biden apparently telling his Ukrainian counterpart that an invasion was virtually certain later on in February when the ground uh, becomes uh, more frozen in this country. He went on to say that he, he warned the Ukrainian uh, leader that the capital, Kiev, this city here, uh, could be sacked. And that, that's, that's the word he apparently used, according to this uh, Ukrainian official, sacked by Russian forces, who he said may attempt to occupy it. There was also some, some quite bad news uh, delivered, although expected news, I think, delivered uh, by the uh, US president to the Ukrainian side. President Biden, according to this official who, uh, who briefed me on the conversation, uh, saying uh, that he told the Ukrainian leader that Ukraine would not be getting significantly more military help, that there would be no US troops sent to Ukraine to defend it. We already, we already knew that, of course, but it was reiterated again uh, on this phone call. Um, also, no sophisticated weapons, uh, further sophisticated weapons delivered to Ukraine from the United States. There would be no progress on NATO and there would be no sanctions imposed on Russia preemptively. That would only happen once Russia invades. Let, let me just get this, this line out. Quite impactful, if you forgive me. Uh, President Biden telling his counterpart that Ukraine should prepare for impact. So quite a stark warning there from the U.S. leader. All right, Matthew Chance reporting live for us in Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is apparently the report. Uh, I don't know where they're getting their information from, but I'm pretty sure it's someone working over in the deep state department. I would not doubt. Let me get this off my screen. Go away. There we go. Okay. And uh, let's move on to that. Oh, oh, well, what do you know? It is uh, fake news, pure propaganda. 
Okay, either way, they've been caught with their pants down, okay? Uh, when you got both your White House and a, uh, an international uh, ally or a, another friggin' country saying, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, can they be trusted? I mean, maybe this is just all part of that uh, recipe of bringing down uh, the, uh, th this uh, institution that people seem to just not be able to deny. Um, more, more cracks are being shown. Uh, more of their falsehoods are coming out. And I mean, you know, you know someone who watches CNN all the time and, and actually believes and trusts in them will probably say, well, you know, we all get it wrong sometimes, right? Uh, we all accidentally start a war sometimes. Anyways, I guess we'll see where this goes, guys. But uh, for fat guys, uh, that smells like uh, pure old, pure old fake, uh, fake news and uh, propaganda. Um, but, but, you know... In my opinion, just based on everything, the way we've been covering this since uh, it, it caught our attention, uh, for it sounds like Zelensky was never at all like what, like concerned. Is really what it sounds like. Uh, check out this piece though. Uh, I found I found this one very interesting. This is CXC News or CXO News. It says uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky urges world leaders. <laughs> He urges world leaders to tone down rhetoric about threatening war with Russia. Okay, does this sound like someone who's crying at the desk of President Biden asking for sanctions and to send us money and to send us help or, you know, unless they played the man, which, you know, uh, that would be, uh, that would be, I mean, that, that could be part of a plan. Uh, to kind of expose them, as I mentioned a few episodes ago. Um, what does they got to say? What, what did he tell them? What did he say? Zelensky, what did you say? Tell me now. Let's see. It says here, uh, there's Zelensky. Uh, they say that tomorrow is war. This means panic, Zelensky said. The exact severity of the threat posed by Russia remains unclear and has reportedly been a point of contention between Zelensky and Biden. Well, where'd this come from? Their conversation on Thursday allegedly did not go well, a senior Ukrainian official told CNN. In the call, which the Ukrainian official described as long and frank, Biden was said to have warned that Russia invasion was now virtually certain and imminent, while Zelensky reaffirmed his position that the threat from Russia remains dangerous but ambiguous. The White House disputed that account, saying anonymous sources were spreading falsehoods. So deep state elements within the Ukrainian government serving as spokespeople? Possible. A spokeswoman said Biden warned Zelensky that an invasion in February was what she called a clear possibility. When asked about his conversation with Biden, Zelensky thanked the U.S. president for his support, but he said the Russian troop buildup was not much more significant than what he had seen in the past. A hundred thousand troops amassed on the borders of Russia, of Ukraine. I mean, do you see how, do you see the stark, stark contrast that we are seeing here, guys, from the reporting? It is insane. He says, I am the president of Ukraine. Zelensky says, I am the president of Ukraine. I am based here. 
and I think I know the details more deeply than any other president. Drop the mic, bam, boom, boom. Okay, you're out, Biden. You're not part of these conversations no more. We have no misunderstanding with President Biden. I just deeply understand what's going on in my country, just like he fully understands what's going on in America. Don't undermine me, Biden. I am not being critical of President Biden. It's just, you know, it sounds very terse with their accent, so I can't help but get away with myself sometimes, y'all. He says, all parties seem to be waiting for a diplomatic solution despite the disagreements. Zelensky said he was willing to meet Putin for a serious talk and suggested that Biden establish a platform for dialogue between Washington, Kiev, and Moscow. I mentioned that a few episodes ago, guys. It was, uh, I think it was on Thursday of last. Uh, there was an article. Zelensky calls for talks between Putin and Biden. They never got a response. You see what happens when you sit on the toilet too long, Joe Biden? They go to France and Germany. That's what happens. But uh, that's better. I'm glad he took a while to get it wiped because then, you know, we'd still be going to war. All right. People don't understand the value of human life, and that's what it's all about. I support serious dialogue, Zelensky says. The ball, at the moment, appears to be in the Kremlin's court. The United States and NATO submitted separate written responses to Russia's publicly aired concerns on Wednesday, a proposal that Moscow had requested. While the United States did not disclose the content of the document, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Wednesday that it contained our own proposals on areas where we might find common ground. Blinken also said there will be no change to NATO's open-door policy, which that is not what this is about, Blinken, leaving the United States at odds with Russia's demand that NATO commit to never admitting Ukraine to the Allies. You know, NATO might not be allowing Ukraine into um, their ranks, but they're still sending NATO weapons, firepower, military might, etc. to Ukraine. That's what this is about. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said the document did not address Russia's main concerns, though he said there was hope for a serious talk, but on secondary issues. The main problem is our clear position on the inadmissibility of NATO's further expansion to the east and the deployment of attack weapons. This is what I have been saying right here, guys. That is their concern. Expansion eastward and deployment of attack weapons, which even though NATO's not going to accept uh, Ukraine into their ranks, and indeed there are several European nations that don't even want them in there, and even the United States has said that Ukraine's not going to join them, they're still sending weapons to Ukraine. And that is what this is about, and that is what they have stated, and yet somehow Antony Blinken and the Deep State Department and NATO and O'Biden don't seem to get that. Because they wanted a war. That's why. So, uh, yeah. Attack weapons that could threaten the territory of the Russian Federation, Lavrov said. That's the end of the article. So, yeah. He, he told them they need to calm themselves down. <laughs> Biden is a sack of lies. I know there's a colon at the end of lies there. But, hey. We're talking about Biden here, right? There's a big old colon right there, too. Um, okay. So, guys. Big old sack of lies. And now we have everything falling apart with, uh, you know, the fake news media. But 
they don't stop, ladies and gentlemen. They are still going. This is an article from just today, uh, just a few hours ago, uh, and they are going to continue to push the war drum out the door and into the backyard of Ukraine and Russia on the border to get what they want. I don't want to listen to you. Victoria, don't you dare. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Victoria was starting to act up. Uh, Real quick, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Thanks for hanging out with us if you are here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and who I saw someone pop into. Oh, Pilled by the Rabbit. Hey, Pilled by the Rabbit. How you doing, sir? He says, uh, howdy, y'all. Nice tie, Mr. C. Working and lurking. Oh, glad to see you working and lurking, sir. Hope you're making some new artwork. This is actually my Donald Trump tie. I thought I would wear him today. So, uh, yeah, quite happy with that. I need to get some of his cologne. Actually, I don't normally do American fragrances. That's the only thing American I, uh, American I don't do. I mean, come on cologne. Uh, but, uh, some of his fragrances actually smell really good. Uh, Okay. So as I was saying, guys, um, they're still going to push the war machine. They're still going to push the fear mongering, the war mongering. So we got, uh, this coming, this is also out of CNN guys, top us general Victoria Milley, uh, warns of horrific outcome if Russian forces are unleashed on Ukraine. I'm not going to read it. I just wanted you guys to see that even though this narrative is falling apart, they're still talking about, uh, you know, disaster in Ukraine, and they're still pushing this narrative, which I find quite uh, ridiculous. But now they got the backing of who? The military-industrial complex. Now the military-industrial complex is stepping forward, and maybe they're the ones who are driving this the whole time. Because, you know, Darth Lloyd Austin is like, I need to make some more money for my buddies at Raytheon. Even though supposedly, you know, he sold his shares and he's not part of it. Well, actually, he didn't share sell his shares right off, but, uh, you know, they're still tied in there somewhere. Um, so this is joint... Uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Victoria Milley, warned a Russian invasion of Ukraine would be horrific for the country. It would be, but is it going to happen? And would result in significant casualties as he urged Russian President Vladimir Putin to choose a diplomatic path. Uh, Victoria, it sounds like he already chose a diplomatic path. That path took them to France. And it's going to take them to Germany because you guys couldn't do it. I mean, come on. You know, uh, Zelensky uh, asked if you guys could host peace talks between he and President Putin, and y'all never responded. Okay, so Millie goes on, and uh, there's Victoria. Let me get her off the screen. (laughs) You guys want to see Victoria? Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Here comes another one. Another... Who the heck are you? Stop taking up my bandwidth. Okay. Um, so this one is from the dishonorable mention that is known as, uh, ABC news. Again, we're not going to read it, but again, this is Darth Lloyd Austin talking. Now I'll expand it just so you can see that I'm not talking out of my tuchus. Uh, Darth Lloyd Austin, uh, says Putin now has full range of options in Ukraine. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says Russia has arrayed enough military forces along Ukraine's border to provide Moscow with a complete range of options, including moves short of a full-scale invasion. Darth Lloyd Austin, sir. Did you not just hear President Zelensky said 
that they measured the incursions or the uh, threat by 200 kilometers per whatever, and that not much has changed since 2014, which leads me to believe that the last three weeks of this buildup of warmongering and, uh, you know, the drums of war beating at the hands of NATO and the United States of America and the deep state department and O'Biden was nothing more than a lie. Uh, that's exactly what this sounds like. For all we know, there have been 100,000 troops at the border of Ukraine since April 2021. God, <laughs> like, I mean, for all we know, it's been that way for, and, you know, I mean, if Zelensky says not much has changed in regards to the buildup, then how is it that the last three weeks we heard that they're adding more? There's adding more. There's now 100,000 troops. If he says not much has changed since 2014, is it reasonable to think that there have always been 100,000 troops at the border and we have been fed lies for the last three weeks in order to groom us and to prepare us for war with in uh, Russia and Ukraine for us to get involved? Because what did they do? They sent, uh, they sent, uh, they sent five warships to the Mediterranean Sea to have, uh, to have maritime exercises that were not even scheduled on the published calendar from uh, the Department of Defense and the Pentagon. And all of a sudden, they're doing this. Mar See, they already sent their warships. They have 8,500 troops ready to roll out. All the troops that they took out of Afghanistan, they want to send them to Ukraine, Russia. You know, like that. And now we have the military industrial complex showing their face, guys. So we're getting a little bit deeper into who might be behind this or who's going to who's going to back this up. Aurelius Locke says same story different decade. Uh yeah, you are right, buddy. And you know what? When you're right, you're right, you know? <laughs> and that that just goes to illustrate that what they use the same playbook overs and overs again, guys, and uh it's not it's not even over yet. Look at this, guys. We're not going to read these articles. I'm just going to share the headlines with you. Well, this one I'm going I'm I'm to share a little bit with you. This is from the United States Sun. Okay, the U.S. Sun. And uh, this is more of that propaganda and the grooming that they are going to be shelling out in order to get us prepared for what they want to do over there. When they say Russian roulette, five false flags Putin could use to spark Ukraine war from staged chemical attacks to Hitler's invasion playbook, they're grooming us to accept this is the way it's going to be. And they're also possibly telegraphing the moves that they are going to make themselves. This is, we know how the deep state works. We know how these false flags works. We know how they work. Okay, and they always telegraph their moves because they've got to preemptively predict. They have to be able to uh, create a pathway for us to believe. Oh, I saw an article about that back in uh, January sometime, and they're going to attack in February, and they're going to do something like this. What, what did they say here? We're not going to read all of it. They already okay. I already told you guys about the deep state department and what they said in on their. Uh, I showed you their Instagram chemical warfare. What did they say? The deep state department on their Instagram uh, history shows that Putin has used chemical warfare to assassinate people, including 
on foreign nations' grounds. Okay, so that's one of the things that they're talking about, an embassy attack. What did they just say? Oh, uh, um, Putin's going to come and sack Kiev, right? And that's why we're evacuating our embassies. Okay, that's another thing that they're talking about, a Hitler plan. Okay, everyone knows you don't go to war with Russia in the winter. Hitler Hitler learned the hard way, didn't he? So I don't understand how that makes any sense for Russia to want to go and do a war with Ukraine in the winter. And they can't even go to war right now. They don't have, there's so many things that are lacking there. Hypersonic threat. Okay. Possibility. I I would say maybe of all of these things, this could be that, right? But then why the hell do they have to put so many troops on the border if they can do a, a hypersonic missile threat, right? Well, I mean, I mean, to invade, I get it, you know, whatever. Special forces. Okay, so, you know, this is them spreading their fear-mongering propaganda. So this way we can, uh, we can set still in our minds that most definitely Russia is going for Ukraine. And that's the way they're going to do it. So, uh, you know, I'm not having any of it. I'm just going to share with you their propaganda. Uh, let me see. There's more. But wait, there's more. Okay, this is from something called Cyber Sheraft. Uh, I included them in the uh, uh, dishonorable mentions. Now, Cyber Sheraft, guys, this one is more of like something I'd like to focus on when we're talking about telegraphing their moves, okay? Because this has to deal with the the Western-backed cabal elitist globalist president that we helped install in 2014 during the Maidan revolution. Remember I said, keep your mind Maidan, right? And so uh, this is what they had to say. Part of Putin's plan, former president Petro Poroshenko landed in Kiev. So, uh, and this makes no sense, guys. Okay, this makes no sense. And let me tell you why before we, we spill into this idea, which I think they will probably likely try to use. And particularly now that everything else is foibled, like they can't fake the invasion between uh, Russia and Ukraine if they're having a ceasefire, right? They, they can no longer set off a bomb or shoot some soldiers. And then, and you know, maybe that's why there was that article that they had on, uh, they had when I opened my browser a couple of nights ago, I think I told you guys about it last night. And I opened my browser and an article said, five soldiers killed in Ukraine. And that was, it was like an alarmist headline. And I was like, ah. Oh, crap. I was like, here we go. I was like, they're going to start their war. They're going to start their war. Like I was just, this is it. Like five are dead. And this is, and it's a big old headline right in the mainstream. Um, but then the peace talks came out. And so I don't know, did that kill that story? I don't know. So anyways, I mean, this is just the things that go through my head when I'm dissecting all of these headlines, but the big one, I think, and I'm not making any predictions, but I would say if they were going to try and do something, Poroshenko is back in Ukraine. He was corrupt. He was installed by the Western-backed globalists, okay? Putin knows that. When they had the the coup, the revolution of Maidan in 2014, and then and then uh, Yuknikev was kicked out and Poroshenko came in, like, uh, they, they talked about that. P- Putin said what happened in Kazakhstan, which is a good thing we talked about Kazakhstan, what Putin said this to, to, uh, to Takayev. 
in Kazakhstan, he said, this reminds me of the revolution Maidan, which happened in Ukraine, which means he is very well aware that Poroshenko was installed and that was a coup that was given by the West to take over Ukraine, okay, and then put in a corrupt president who is in the back pocket of the globalist and also buddy-buddy with Biden and Hunter, okay? So why would President Putin put in Poroshenko. Why would he do that? Okay. But let's not forget the mainstream media is also touting Poroshenko as the hero that's going to take on Putin now. So, ooh, the plot thicks. Let's see what happens. Uh, This is the article. Former President Petro Poroshenko landed in Kiev. Uh, he He was in a Warsaw airport before his return to Kiev due to land shortly. Um, Let's see here. This is uh, an international thing. So uh, it says here, um, his next stop will be a courtroom to face controversial treason charges that come as the country is facing the threat of Russian invasion. Ukraine's former president, Petro Poroshenko, landed in Kiev on Monday to face treason charges in a criminal case, he says, was trumped up by allies of his successor, President Volodymyr Zelensky. A busy day ahead in Ukraine today as former President Poroshenko returns to the country and might be arrested on treason charges. Uh, German FM Anala Bear Book visits and a bipartisan group of, Ukra- of U.S. congressmen arrives to meet the Ukraine's president, foreign defense minister. He says, I will return to fight for Ukraine. Okay, keep this in mind, guys. Poroshenko, the corrupt president who stole the money from the military, like, I went back and found articles that said, oh, Poroshenko built up the military. Oh, no. I found videos where hundreds of Ukrainians are amassing to run him out. They're throwing rocks. They're pissed off. Of course, according to the media, this was the right wing extremist people of Ukraine. And they were all shouting down at him for robbing their military blind. Okay. And that's aside from all of the other money that this oligarch got while he was in power. Um, So he's going to return to Ukraine to fight for Ukraine. Okay. Okay. This is, this is part of the spin here. Now, no, he, he generally probably believes that guys, but there's something else going on, I think. So uh, he told a press conference adding that he considers fighting accusations as politically motivated part of his patriotic struggle for the nation. The man who robbed the nation and stole from the people of Ukraine wants to come back and save them. Despite the gravity of the accusations, Poroshenko is optimistic. Asked if he would consider being arrested upon returning home, Poroshenko replied, definitely not. Poroshenko was defeated at the polls after a corruption scandal and a mixed record of reform, but he emerged with strong patriotic credentials as he rebuilt the Ukrainian army. That's what I'm talking about. As he rebuilt the Ukrainian army while battling Russian-backed insurgents in the East. Okay, uh, those videos, I beg to differ. Okay, (laughs) I beg to differ. Petro Poroshenko was speaking in Warsaw before traveling to Kiev, Ukraine's capital, on Monday, where he's facing court charges. For Poroshenko, the current leadership of Ukraine is responsible for national unity and said the Russia that Russia is really trying to disintegrate and conflict within the country. Uh, I think this is a very irresponsible action by the current leadership to disintegrate the country and ruin unity, says Poroshenko. 
Uh, a prosecutor alleged that Poroshenko, one of Ukraine's richest businessmen and owner of the Russian confectionery empire, was involved in the sale of large amounts of coal that would have helped Russian finances intervene in eastern Ukraine in 2014-15. to 15. The Kiev court has already frozen Poroshenko's assets as part of its investigation into allegations of high treason, but the former Ukrainian president has insisted on his innocence, accusing his successor, President Volodymyr Zelensky, of trying to discredit him politically to distract from others. Okay, and we'll stop there for that, guys. It just talks about his landing, treason, etc. Um, and then, what was this? King in exile? Yeah, he he has not been in Ukraine. I wonder why. You think that's because they were going to arrest him? Could be possible. Could definitely be possible. Okay, so... Keeping with that thought in mind, and real quick, real quick, uh, oh, thank, uh, thank you. Hey, Skeeter Burke, what's going on, sweetie? <laughs> General Millie to the rescue says, uh, <laughs> one, two, three, SKG. And not hard to believe at all. They seriously think we're stupid. People are waking up. Yep, 100%. Sonia, good to see you tonight. Uh, Skeeter Burke, thank you for the cookie. Tell me a bedtime story. Ooger, I got a really good bedtime story coming up for you guys. I realize I've already spent about two hours on Ukraine, but we're still going to talk about the voting machines next. And I promise you, you'll have some sweet dreams tonight, Skeeter Burke. Uh, derailing, what's going on? NATO members already told Biden to get stuffed. <laughs> No one wants war but the Dems. Well, you know, you're right. That's why Germany and France are hosting these talks, because they don't want war either. And for the life of them, they're probably wondering what the heck is going on in the States. Uh, and, you know, the United States is using NATO as their proxy, you know, warmongering army. And I, it's just, it is such an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Uh, derailing. Thanks for joining us. Railing on. Thank you for the cookie. One, two, three, SKG. Thank you for the cookie. Thank God for that, says uh, Sonia JHC. Uh, but if a false flag is hard for some to swallow, they have no Navy frozen in. Well, yeah, there's another thing there. Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie. Railing on. Appreciate it. And uh, the Ukraine deep state playing their games. Better watch his six. Uh-huh. Check it out, guys, because we ain't done yet. Uh, let's see, what do I got next up here? Next article, next article, next article. I'm making up for yesterday. That's why we're, we're going to do a, we're going to do an extra long C report tonight. It's not going to be extra long, but it's going to be longer than usual. And then, uh, we'll see if we can rival last night's C Mr. C in the dark. What do you say guys? Okay. So check this out. So Z Proshenko lands in, um, he lands in, uh, in Ukraine, in Kiev, right? And uh, again, he's wanted on treason. And uh, so suddenly, I guess they all forget about his corruption. Okay. I don't know how that happens. Uh, maybe it has something to do with their uh, their prosecutor general. You know, the ones that we read about uh, uh, two days ago, uh, where they're talking about how they dropped the Biden case and they dropped all of these uh, um, um, alleged, according to them, uh, corruption. Uh, was it Zol Zolchevsky over at Burisma? So uh, this one from Breitbart says, Ukraine court refuses to arrest ex-leader in treason case. So this man's wanted for treason. Charges of treason by the current president, but uh, the court will not arrest him. I wonder what's up with that, huh? What do you think could be going on with that? Let's see what it says here. Now, it says here, a court in Ukraine has rejected a motion by the prosecutors to remand former President Petro Poroshenko in custody 
pending investigation and trial on the charges of treason, allowing the politician to walk out with a few restrictions. Ukraine court refuses to arrest ex-leader. That's a caption. A court in Ukraine on Wednesday, they have the same sentence three times. Okay, so <clears throat> it's just a few restrictions on his behavior. Uh, the ruling barred Poroshenko from leaving the capital, Kiev, or the outlying region without permission from law enforcement officials and obligated him to surrender his passport and make himself available for questioning when required. Poroshenko returned to Ukraine with much fanfare on Monday to face the charges which he insists are politically motivated. He told the crowd supporters of Wednesday, we are not afraid, the truth is with us. A lot of guilty people say that. The prosecution has accused Poroshenko, owner of the Russian confectionery empire and one of Ukraine's richest businessmen. He was an all he was he was he was a wealthy millionaire billionaire before he was president, guys. Um, I have I have articles on his corruption um, of being involved in the sale of large amounts of coal that helped uh, finance Russian backed separatists. The former president of Ukraine has been charged with high treason and his assets have been frozen. Uh, he faces up to 15 years in prison for treason. I mean, that's pretty light. Wouldn't you think? Uh, Poroshenko maintains his innocence. He, uh, he blames president Zelensky and, uh, Zelensky, um, has been waging a battle against the oligarchs to reduce their influence in Ukraine's political and economic life. That's the platform that he ran on. That is the platform that he won, um, his presidency. And the charges are the latest in a string of accusations leveled against Poroshenko since he was defeated by Zelensky in 2019. Okay. Um, and then it talks about the Russian thing. Okay. So, you know, the thing there with Russia. So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, skip out on the rest of that article because uh, that is just what you need to know from it. Let me see what I got up here next. What do I, what do you, what do you got for me? Okay. Now, this article is very interesting, guys. This article's for perspective because you have Poroshenko coming back in. And I said this uh, a, about a week ago, the last time, the not the last time we talked about uh, Ukraine and Russia, but the time before, <laughs> go back and look. Anyways, I said this, what if they have Poroshenko coming in to somehow replace Zelensky? And this is why we have Poroshenko... Uh, talking about he's here to fight for Ukraine and he's going to bring down Russia, blah, 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 blah. But this is a corrupt guy who's Western black, Western backed globalists. Like you always got to look at that tag. Who helped them get into power? It was the West. It was the globalist. It was the cabal people. So they helped Poroshenko. So we already know where he stands based on that. Okay. He lost against an anti-corrupt, a corruption president. Now we have him coming back in, okay? Now, also, we have, the, we have the whole narrative of war falling down the legs of, uh, you know, NATO and Biden and Deep State and CNN, okay? What was the thing that we heard coming out of the mainstream media, guys, when all of this was starting, well, we didn't cover it here, so maybe you don't know. What was going on before this amass of all these Russian troops on the border? And we're going back to about November, December, guys. They kept on saying that there was a coup that was going to happen in Ukraine and that Russia was behind the coup. 
okay, and that they were going to install Russian supportive Ukrainians to oust Zelensky in a coup d'etat. If I need to pull up the article, just let me know, guys, and I will pull up the article for you all. But that was the narrative that we were we were reading about whenever uh, before all of these troops were amassing on their border. Now, we didn't talk about that here because that was out of my periphery peripherals because they were on to the massing of the troops. I dig, 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 type, 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 type. And I'm like, oh, look at this. Apparently, uh, Putin is going to um, host a coup in Ukraine and throw out Zelensky. Okay. Now, here's where Poroshenko comes in. Look at this headline that I found. This is from September of 2020. Ukraine coup in the works. Biden's allies in Poroshenko's ex-Ukrainian government move to oust President Zelensky. This is an international headline, guys. This is outside of the mainstream media's purview. Ukraine coup in the works. Biden's allies in Poroshenko's ex-Ukrainian government moved to oust President Zelensky. Isn't it funny that now we have Poroshenko back in Ukraine? Okay. And isn't it funny that the media is touting him as the hero returned, even though he was one of the more corrupt presidents in that country? I don't know. I'm just making inferences here. I'm not predicting nothing. I'm not saying it's true, but I think it's highly suspect the timing. I don't believe in coincidences that Poroshenko's back on the scene. Zelensky has already had, there are already a lot of doubts about Zelensky. And now Zelensky has effectively made a fool out of the United States of America and the mainstream press. He did that. Zelensky did it. In Ukraine, the process of violent overthrow of President Voldemar Zelensky by the team of ex-President Petro Poroshenko has begun. This was stated by the deputy of Rada Renat Kuzmin. Now, what was the first article that I mentioned about Poroshenko? It said, Putin's plan revealed. Poroshenko to be installed by Putin. And what did I say? Putin is very well aware that Poroshenko was a Western-backed globalist cabal guy. So why would Putin put his money on Poroshenko? And why would he back him up in a coup against Zelensky? It's all starting to come clear now, right? Like, maybe, maybe this is some plan. I don't know. Maybe I just, like, like was caught some plan. And this is not even the plan. But maybe this was a plan. I don't know. But this is what they're saying. Petro Poroshenko was already planning a coup. So what if it's a Western-backed coup and they bring Poroshenko in again and they blame it on Putin? I mean, that could happen. There is a circumstance wherein that could happen, guys. Um, It says, There is a large group of people who are dissatisfied with the incumbent president and are ready to join the coup d'etat in government agencies, law enforcement agencies, security agencies, including the army, Kuzmin, also the former deputy prosecutor general, known for his investigation against the Burisma firm and its corruption, has been made aware of this plot. Okay, guys, same person who did not investigate Burisma, 
Same person who worked under Poroshenko, Deputy Prosecutor General, the one who who just shelved all of the uh, the complaints from uh, from Shokin. The same guy who did nothing. The same guy that may have received $7 million from Poroshenko to drop the case so that they would... No, from Sosletsky. Sorry, not Poroshenko. From Sosletsky, the president of Burisma. So that this way that, that this way the United Kingdom would release his assets. Okay? Oh, yeah, we forget about history, right? Not at the Sea Report. Uh, so uh, this strongly indicates that this is connected to the Burisma concern. Okay, so this article recognizes that. This article actually recognizes that Biden might have wanted Zelensky to be thrown out because Biden's got a lot of stuff to hide, not just his failures as a, as a leader here in this country. Uh, my computer's frozen. Give me a minute, guys. I'm getting too excited and I'm wigging out my computer. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, where did you guys leave off? I don't know if you heard what I was saying because my computer froze. Um, Skeeter Burke asks, how does the pipeline and natural gas play into all of this? Very fascinating. Skeeter Burke, if you go back about two or three episodes with um, Ukraine-Russia topic, we talked about this. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the Nord Stream 2 and uh, some of the reasons why Ukraine was against it. And uh, ultimately, I believe it helped the Biden administration. Uh, and, and we were speculating if this was because, you know, there was dirt to be had and maybe uh, he was using it against uh, Zelensky or maybe he was uh, trying to just give uh, Putin another reason not to care if uh, he decided to go to war because they had the Nord Stream open. And then, of course, we also saw how Germany uh, decided that they did not want to be involved with sending any military support because they've got business to do with Russia in regards to oil. Uh, but we talked about it at length a couple of episodes ago. If I could get the episode number, I would let you know. Uh, let me see if I can do that for you real quick. Take a pause for my excitement. I think I totally wigged out my... Uh... <laughs> I think I wigged out my computer. I think I was getting too excited because I had a weird freeze right now. Uh, let me see. I'm going to find that for you, Miss Skeeter Burke, because you asked. I'm telling you guys, you know, there's a lot of stuff to carry cover on a Friday night, but I guess you know, I would be one of those. Uh, I would be one of those teachers that gives you homework on a Friday night. Ah, just kidding. Okay, uh, let's see here. If you go to the C report number. I think it's 232. I think it's uh, episode 232. We talk about uh, we talk about that very topic. Uh, I thought I had Nord Stream 2 in the title. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be that one. The other ones are too far. Yeah, the others are too far away from the topic. Yeah, I would say that. I think it's 232. Somewhere right in there, we talked about Nord Stream 2 and how it plays into all of this to an extent. Um, anyhow. All right, guys, let me jump back on the ball here because we still got to talk about the voting machines. This is just the opening act, y'all. Uh, Persnick says, I think Putin does not like the deep state and it's working with Trump to bring him down. I don't think that's crazy, Persnick. I mean, that is my assessment a thousand percent um, because the United States and Russia have a common natural enemy. 
And that would be the enemy of liberty. And there's no better representation of the enemy of liberty than the deep state, the globalists. We have a common enemy, guys, and that is the globalist deep state jerks who are trying to uh, kill everybody. So no, Persnick, I think, I think that assessment is right on, girl, our guy. And if you are crazy, I will be crazy right there with you because, trust me, I'm, I believe that is the dynamic that we are seeing. Um, Skeeterberg says, I dare say this is more fascinating than JFK. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is some good stuff, guys. Um, Sonia JC says, telling us what they're doing. They're a bunch of demons, NWO. Yep, yep, yep. Need a job, proofreaders need it asap. I would I can do I can be a proofreader. I am a copyright, I'm a copy editor already. I already do that stuff. So yeah, let me know if you got some work for me. I wouldn't mind uh taking on a taking on an extra job. Well, I mean having a job. <laughs> yeah, girl. I do copy editing and and uh and uh proofreading and stuff like that. So uh uh inbox me, okay, here on Pilled. Okay, let's uh, let's finish up with this uh, article here so we can move on to more important issues, guys. You see, this is exactly what the deep state and the mainstream media wanted. A big old distraction. We could be talking about voting machines. And here I am trying to dissect the possible uh, the possible espionage and, uh, you know, uh, uh, routes that they're doing here. A the, the big old distraction. I guess they serve their purpose. But uh, we're going to map out this just to totally deflate anything and then and then of course my idea with that is if we have a cognizance of these ideas or a cognizance of uh you know what could be we're not necessarily projecting or creating reality but we are able then to uh transmute it and to to oppose it and thwart it and stick our own ideas into it like what did i say what did i say uh like on monday i said wouldn't it be cool if uh putin and zelensky uh, you know, teamed up and they exposed NATO, the deep state and the mainstream media and poof, what happened on Wednesday? Exactly that. Okay. I didn't predict it. And that's all BS. I'm just saying I said that on Monday and on Wednesday, it was true. Not to the extent that I would wanted it. I would have rather, well, no, if it had gone any other way, it would have been worse. Cause there would have been like, you know, bombs and firing and they, there would have been conflict. Uh, but for that idea, it worked out a lot better than I could have imagined, at least to this point. Okay, so let us wrap up this topic, guys. Um, just real quick, it strongly indicates that this is connected to the Burisma concern, chiefly U.S. presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. According to the deputy, the conspirators only lack a reason to seize power, but Poroshenko's team is already creating the necessary conditions for a coup. In his opinion, the uh, faction of the ex-president will soon arrange a fake collection of signatures for the creation of an investigative commission to investigate the actions of the current government. After the failure, the incumbent parliament will be accused of incapacity, after which the ex-president supporters will call on people to take to the streets. So they already have this, the whole coup lined up, guys. This whole coup, this Biden-backed coup, or deep state globalist-backed coup of Poroshenko for the second time, they want to oust Zelensky now. So that is the long and short of it, okay? As far as that entire notion goes, Poroshenko's back. And you got uh, magazines and other publications saying that uh, Putin is backing him up, even though Putin knows he's a puppet. Do you see that, guys? Do you see that? 
Do we not sometimes feel as frustrated as that man looks right now? <laughs> For those of you on the podcast, we're looking at a picture of a very frustrated looking Putin who's like, really? <laughs> I have to deal with this again. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. All right, guys, we made it. We crossed the finish line. We are now going on to tonight's topic. And that's all that this what this whole Ukraine talk is just that. I mean, we're watching a narrative over there, guys. And we're wondering how this is going to play out into the Great Awakening worldwide. You know what I mean? And so we're seeing... We just saw a huge crack into the the uh, the, the mainstream, lamestream fake news legacy mockingbird media like that's a huge crack guys like whether or not you know um big america will agree with that or see that like that's a huge crack you know that's them saying we're going to war and the white house which that's surprising to me that the white house is like no what are you talking about like that 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 juxt not juxtaposed but that that contradiction right there is just worth all the money in the breath that i have spoken and it's not much but you know Persnick, thank you so much for gifting the phone. I much appreciate you. Aurelius says, can you edit and narrate the story of my life at Mr. C? It's a short story. <laughs> More like a haiku. Hey, I write haiku. Uh, you know, a 757, sir. Um... I, you know, give yourself a little bit more credit than that, Aurelius. <laughs> like, I'm sure you're at least a triptych haiku or something, okay? So, let's talk about the voting machines, guys. This was the main topic for tonight, but I got totally distracted by Ukraine, just like it was intended to be. So, um, why do I have the Epo Epoch Times on my screen, guys? Um... And this is about the voting machines. It's, I'm t I trust, trust me, guys. This is about the voting machines. We're talking about the history of the voting machines right now. Like, we're switching gears. We're going from the, you know, Ukraine, Russia, all the way back here to America, okay? Now, when we're talking about the independent press, um, also referred to as the alternative media, um, also referred to as the patriot media, you know, um, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of venues, articles, you know, um, um, newspapers, etc. that come to mind. You know, there's some that we here at the Sea Report turn to frequently to get our headlines. You know, I used to make a joke and it wasn't a dig. It was not a dig. Uh, it, it, but I used to say the Gateway Pundit, there is no other or more trusted news source on the foxhole, right? It was a joke. Some people took it personal, you know, whatever. But you know, I mean, but it's true though. I I go to the Gateway Pundit constantly. You know, in fact, the Gateway Pundit is the first place I go because they have the easiest headlines to pick up on. It's just I go to the root sources. Anyways, we're not here to talk about my process. The reason why I have the Epoch Times on the screen is because the Epoch Times is, um, it, it is sometimes questioned by, uh, you know, people like me, people who do live streams, you know, the bloggers, people like that, uh, live streamers, content creators, is questioned for its integrity. Uh, you know, one has to wonder, why does the Epoch Times sometimes have uh, these kind of off articles? And the truthfully speaking, for me, the off articles that they have are 
specifically regarding election integrity and election fraud, okay? Like, they don't report on election fraud. They don't report on election integrity. They don't report on anything that's going on. And the fact of the matter is that they could at least inform people that it's happening. And that was my point, is that if you don't want to take sides in regards to election fraud or election integrity, fine. But you could at least, at least let the people know that it's happening. Okay, that's what's important. Having the knowledge of the occurrence. And then that way, the audience can go and dig for more if they want to. So why is the Epoch Times not reporting on the audits that have occurred? Why are they not reporting on the findings that have happened like by Voter GA or True the Vote? Like these are hard, concrete stories that they are not talking about. And they don't have to take sides, but they could absolutely share the facts of the matter, the who, what, where, when, and well, the who, what, where, and when. They, they, they may not be able to tell you the how or the why, and they're steering clear of the why, you know. So that was my biggest question. My biggest question is the Epoch Times, why are you not reporting anything about election fraud or election integrity? Yes, they'll tell you about the bills that have passed. Yes, they'll tell you about the fight against HR1 and HR4. But when we get down to the dirty, when we get down to the minutia about what's happening in the respective states in this fight to, to, to right the wrongs that took place by means of election fraud, there's literally nothing. In fact, in Wisconsin, they actually shared a story about an election audit that found that there was no fraud in 2020 that was done by a lefty Democrat organization and they reported on it. And I was like, why would you report on that Epoch Times, but you're not going to report on any of the other efforts going on? Um, so I, you, and this is why, along with other issues that some people have a question with them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I was digging into the voting machines, I came across an article that I had no knowledge about. And I think at least for myself, this satisfies the answer as to why the Epoch Times does not dish out a lot of stories about 2020 election fraud, or currently what is going on in that field. Here's what I found. The Epoch Times was part, also part of, um, of, this, uh, of this litigation threat that OAN, Fox News, Lou Dobbs, and like 18 other entities and organizations faced from Dominion, okay? So, uh, and I didn't know this. Like, I, I, knew, I knew back at the time that uh, Dominion had sent, um, um, they threatened litigation and that they uh, were going to sue people. And because of that, News Mask took off their mask and we were able to see them for who they are. Now, the Epoch Times also received a cease and desist letter they didn't actually get sued like Fox or Lou Dobbs or, or OAN um, but, or Mike Lindell, hello, but they actually did receive a cease and desist letter. Uh, so this was the letter here. And I was just going to share that with you guys because uh, I was like, oh, I, I did not realize that Epoch Times was actually included in that list of news agencies. 
So this is from the lawyers for uh, Dominion. And uh, the Epoch Times Canada recent media request to Dominion. And I don't know if I could expand that any larger for y'all because uh, it's like split screen. Let me see if I can do this. Nope, it doesn't work. Okay. Uh, so it says our law firm is defamation counsel to U.S. Dominion Incorporated. Your recent email indicates that the Epoch Times Canada is contemplating publishing a story suggesting that Canadian localities should terminate its relationship with Dominion in light of the controversy in the United States. We have serious concerns. Based on your email that the proposed article will portray Dominion in a false light and include defamatory falsehoods about Dominion's role in the November 2020 U.S. presidential election. Our concerns are identical to those raised in the letter we sent to the Epoch Times U.S.-based operations just last week. Before taking any additional steps to advance your proposed story, we advise you to review the December 18th, 2020 letter, which is attached here to as Exhibit 1. We'll skip over what they have to say. Um, and it says here, uh, as set forth in our previous letter, the only controversy here is that various individuals have perpetrated a false and defamatory smear campaign against Dominion accusing the company of somehow rigging the November 2020 presidential election. The Epoch Times Canada must not legitimize these baseless claims by publishing a story that further disseminates that libel. Doing so would constitute a reckless disregard for truth and no doubt expose you and the Epoch Times Canada to defamation liability. Uh, the facts which are now in your possession demonstrate that Dominion and its customers, by extension, has been unfairly targeted by this widespread disinformation campaign. Accordingly, Dominion is prepared to take all necessary steps to defend its good name and seek civil redress for any unfair and unlawful attacks to its reputation. Okay, so that's basically the long and short of it. Dominion is resolute and committed to set the record straight. And they threaten litigation. So as I was saying, I was not aware that Dominion was also part of, uh, of that lawsuit group. Um, but when I went back into the Epoch Times and I was going through the articles to, to prepare for my story tonight, um, they actually had a lot of articles up until basically they stopped having a focus on election integrity and election fraud for 2020 right about the time, like their last article that I saw that I was searchable was about um, Arizona um, winning, uh, winning in court that they could review the ballots. And that was after that, it was like cut, like no more. So, I mean, we could hold these guys in the same light, like, or I could hold these guys in the same light, like I do with news mask, like, oh, you guys are a news mask, you're just masking who you are. But at the same time, while they're not reporting on election fraud, or the 2020 general election fraud, specifically, they didn't do like news mask and, you know, go out there and grovel and apologize and like, you know, turn the TV off on Mike Lindell. Well, you guys also like Mike Lindell when he's just like, he's muted and he's just being so animated. It's just, to me, it's really funny, but I mean, it's really sad though. Cause that was censorship, etc. 
So anyhow, yeah, I like that. Bring it, right? Bring that lawsuit, okay? So again, the the what what we're going to do tonight again like I said is I'm not going to bring you any breaking news on uh, these voting machines. I'm not going to tell you something that's going to totally bring them down or some new lawsuit that uh, proves beyond a shadow of a doubt or some new investigation or audit. What we're going to do for, um, and this is also the first time we've covered this here on our report, we're going to be sharing information about the history of the voting machines uh, and also in America. We're going to be sharing information with people who may have never heard this information, uh, people who may have always wondered about the history of the voting machines. We're going to be talking about Dominion, Sequoia, uh, Smartmatic specifically, and Heart Intercivic is interspersed into this as well. Uh, But then also we're going to be looking at um, how these machines uh, and the companies played a role in 2020. Okay, the election as part of a government agency in cybersecurity and ensuring and mapping out the security and uh, the security of our elections. Okay, which is it's like, bam, like what? What? Like, okay, these companies are already under such question. Uh, It's it's rather interesting, guys. So that's what tonight's going to be about because again the number one point that comes up when we're talking about election fraud election integrity and election audits the number one question i hear from uh from the people from the fans uh fans from the (laughs) from the people from the audience from the family uh you know is what about the damn machines like are we going to get rid of those machines or what so like i said and the reason why we're not covering all of the uh the fraud of these machines, pardon me, like I said at the head of the episode tonight, guys, all of what these machines, how how uh, either they can be used or they're defective, has already been covered. It was covered in, in Michigan. In Michigan, they laid down evidence that not only are these machines inaccurate, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> not only are these machines inaccurate, up to 68% inaccuracy rate to force ballots into adjudication. But they can also be connected to the internet. We also learned that in, in, in Arizona. During their audit, they also found that these machines had internet, internet, internet connectivity. And that also uh, the outcome of the vote could totally be, um, totally be uh, um, manipulated um, from an outside entity. And in New Hampshire, we learned that the uh, memory cards could also be um, um, defiled. And there was an entire story on that. So we already know how these machines can defraud people from their internet. I mean, from their their elections. Like, we already know that. That evidence is here. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to look at the history of these machines. Because it's an interesting piece of uh, information that I think is vital for us to have. So let's start with Smartmatic, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, Smartmatic would probably be uh, considered the oldest um, and probably the most crooked of the machines. Besides, before Dominion gets onto the machine, uh, onto the scene, is going to be Smartmatic. Okay, so uh, let me see here. I got my my notes as we get ready to barrel into this. And um, thank you all again for being here with us. It is most definitely awesome. That you guys are here. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm going right on it. Okay. So, uh, 
Let's start with Smartmatic. Oh, yeah, and another reason why I share that information with you guys on the Epoch Times is because we'll be referencing some Epoch Times stories. Uh, so again, this comes before they basically stopped publishing stories about election integrity and fraud. So this is from the Epoch Times, a history of foreign ties behind um, voting machines used in the United States of America. <clears throat> okay, and uh, it says, uh, behind a significant portion of voting machines used in the United States lies a history of foreign ties, hidden ownership structures, and transparency concerns with the software itself there is also a connection between two major voting system companies, Smartmatic and Dominion Voting Systems, through the acquisition of Sequoia Voting Systems. Information from lawsuits, public records, and witness interviews helps to untangle this web. The Epoch Times spoke with an intelligence source knowledgeable on Venezuela and its criminal activities, a former CIA official who is an expert in Latin American politics and counterterrorism, and a former director of Venezuela's National Electoral Council, who was fired for exposing election fraud in the country. Two of the sources requested anonymity so they could speak freely on the matter. Smartmatic has in recent years focused on project management and consulting for elections rather than providing software or machines. Dominion's voting technology is currently used in 28 U.S. states and Puerto Rico, according to the firm's official website. More than 40% of American voters cast their ballot through the Dominion system in general elections, including 65 of Michigan's 83 counties, all 159 counties in Georgia, and 2.2 million voters in Maricopa, Arizona's largest county, among others. Smartmatic Origins Smartmatic's history in Venezuela goes back to 1997, when they were known as the Research and Development Unit of Pana Group in Venezuela. According to a 2004 archive post on Smartmatic's website, Pana Group's main goal was to provide smart connectivity and information technologies to the automation and industrial control market. Smartmatic was officially incorporated in Delaware in April 2000, and headquartered in Boca Raton, Florida. In April 2003, the company unveiled a prototype election autom automation machine. It was developed in-house and included the integration of hardware and software from design to deployment. The company moved its main headquarters to Amsterdam in 2004 and then London in 2012. Although a little-known company at the time, Smartmatic was chosen by Venezuela's regime for a 2004 referendum that socialist leader Hugo Chavez would win. It was also used in subsequent elections. Prior to that, Smartmatic was part of a consortium that included a software company partly owned by a Venezuelan government agency. At the time, there was a wide array of allegations of fraud in the referendum by media organizations and observers. Smartmatic allegedly has 30 anonymous investors and silent partners who are mainly upper-class Venezuelans, including Defense Minister Jose Vicente Rangel and Chavez mentor Luis Michelina, and others according to a July 20, 2006 State Department diplomatic cable that was leaked 
on WikiLeaks. The company publicly acknowledged that Venezuela's government manipulated the results of the country's 2017 Constitutional Assembly election. Smartmatic said the turnout figures were overstated by at least 1 million votes, Reuters reported. We know, without any doubt, that the turnout of the recent election for a national constituent assembly was manipulated, Smartmatic CEO Antonio Mujica said at a news briefing in London in 2017. We estimate the difference between the actual participation and the one announced by authorities is at least 1 million votes. Chavez's successor, Nicolas Maduro, who is allied with the Chinese Communist Party and Russia, was indicted by the Trump administration in March on charges of narco-terrorism. Cuba's Fidel Castro also mourned the death of Chavez, who controlled him, who controlled him, who called him a father, a comrade, according to a 2005 interview with Cuban Communist Party newspaper Grandma. Manipulated results. In Venezuela, Ana Mercedes Diaz was appointed deputy director general of the country's National Electoral Council in 1991. Then, in 2003, just before the referendum, she was appointed director general of political parties of the council. The Electoral Council is one of the five branches of Venezuela's government responsible for overseeing its elections and referendums. Diaz was fired in 2004 after she published information on electoral fraud occurring in Venezuela's referendum. She said that what's happening in the United States mirrors the issues with Smartmatic in Venezuela. That is a picture of uh, Mrs. Diaz. It was admitted by Smartmatic that the results can be manipulated, Diaz alleged in an interview with the Epoch Times. Smartmatic later came out of Venezuela, but it's been proven that this type of fraud goes wherever they go. What's happening in the United States is exactly the same thing. This change is almost impossible to detect, Diaz alleged. After her firing, Diaz says someone who still worked for the council sent a copy of the contract the government signed with Smartmatic. She alleges that it was negotiated in only three days and thought it strange the government chose a company with no previous history or experience in elections despite that being one of the criteria of the council's selection. Diaz later immigrated to, the, immigrated to the United States. Since Venezuela's 2004 referendum until his death in 2013, Chavez won all of the country's elections through a fraudulent system, she said. Diaz noted other parallels and similarities between issues in this year's election and what she saw in Venezuela. Many American poll watchers and challengers have submitted sworn affidavits saying they could not see the actual ballots being counted due to obstruction. She said in Venezuela, observers were also not allowed to see the votes. In Venezuela, the opposition was winning. The light went off, and when it came back, the results were flipped. I was following the U.S. election, and there came a moment where information stopped. Nobody knew what had happened, she said. There was nothing for a few hours. It's exactly, exactly, exactly how Smartmatic operated in Venezuela. 
According to Diaz, Venezuela is exporting its voting machines to other Latin and Asian countries so they can influence elections across the globe. The U.S. government has repeatedly sanctioned officials of Maduro's regime who were involved in public corruption or undermining democracy. Smartmatic is thought to be backing out of Venezuelan electoral events, focusing now on other parts of the world, including the United States, via its subsidiary, Sequoia, according to the leaked 2006 State Department cable. Smartmatic is a riddle. The company came out of nowhere to snatch a multi-million dollar contract in an electoral process that ultimately reaffirmed Chavez's mandate and all but destroyed his political opposition, the cable continues. The perspective we have here, after several discussions, is that the company is de facto Venezuelan and operated by Venezuelans. A former CIA uh, official who's an expert in Latin American politics and counterterrorism said his team found through an investigation that Chavez started to focus on voting machines to ensure victory as early as 2003, when more than 20% of Venezuelans signed a recall referendum to remove him as president. Chavez started talking to a company called Indra, a Spanish company which ran elections in Venezuela at the time, he said. After deciding that Indra's voting machines weren't flexible enough, Chavez contacted Smartmatic, according to the official. Smartmatic says that Chavez didn't contact the company, but that the process went through the National Election Council. Smartmatic later won the bid over Indra and the five-member Venezuelan Electoral Council, dominated by Chavez's supporters, awarded a $91 million contract to Smartmatic for the referendum. At midnight on election day, the machines stopped counting, the official said, noting that Chavez was losing at that point. By 3 a.m., Chavez had won by 10%. Smartmatic's person, spokesperson, spokesperson Samira Sabah said that results are not available in real time. In 2005, Smartmatic bought Sequoia Voting Systems, a much larger and more established company based in Oakland, California. At that time, Sequoia had installed voting equipment in 17 United States, uh, U.S. states and Washington. Concerns that Smartmatic had ties to Chavez were so widespread at the time that the U.S. government began investigating the takeover of the company a year after the purchase, the New York Times reported at the time. The probe was conducted by the Committee of Foreign Investment in the United States, uh, CFIUS, CFIUS, which reviews deals by foreign acquirers for potential national security risks. Among the points for concern was Smartmatic's convoluted business structure. Smartmatic has claimed to be of U.S. origin, but its true owners, probably elite Venezuelans of several political strains, remain hidden behind a web of holding companies in the Netherlands and Barbados, according to the State Department cable. In 2006, Treasury Secretary Jon Snow had inquired whether the Venezuelan government could use Sequoia to manipulate U.S. elections. Then-Representative Carolyn Maloney, Democrat New York, another high-profile politician who raised similar concerns, was the first to voice the need for an investigation of the Sequoia deal. So this was what? In 2006? That's what? During the Bush years? Of course the Democrats were complaining about 
uh, election fraud. And uh, isn't that when that that documentary came out? What was it called? Were the Democrats like, uh, 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 what is that one with the RBF? <laughs> uh, uh, Korbovich, or what was her name? I can't remember her name. She was the VP uh, uh, at one point running. Anyways, 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 let me, let me, not, let me not get distracted here. Uh, before it sold Sequoia, Smartmatic had refused to undergo such a review by the U.S. government, claiming all allegations were simply rumors. It seems Smartmatic could not overcome the cloud of doubt surrounding this deal. Had they been able to, we would not be talking about a sale of Sequoia today, Maloney said in a 2006 statement. As I said in May, it seems that a Cepheus review was in fact the proper course. Smartmatic attempted to respond to those concerns, but in 2007, ended up selling Sequoia to what the company described in a statement as a group of private U.S. investors comprised by Sequoia's current executive management team, led by Sequoia president and CEO Jack Blaine and the company's chief financial officer, Peter McNamee. Such private equity firms, as well as Dominion, were named in a scathing 2019 release by Senators uh, Elizabeth Warren, Amy, that's her name, Klobuchar, and uh, Ron Wyden and Representative Mark Pocan, who had raised concerns about the poor condition and vulnerabilities of voting machines and other election equipment, along with a lack of transparency in letters to these firms. A year after Smartmatic sold Sequoia, the name of Sequoia's new owner was revealed through a 2008 lawsuit, SVS Holdings. Court arguments uncovered that Smartmatic was still the owner of Sequoia's intellectual property. And we'll take a pause there, guys. So what is it that we're hearing like more frequently now as we move forward? We're hearing that uh, Venezuela didn't own Smartmatic or own the machines or, you know, Dominion, like uh, all of all of that kind of talk uh, makes us QAnon right wing, you know, tinfoil hat wearers, you know, when uh, there's clear documentation about their history. OK, so now this is Smartmatic. It started in Venezuela, right? It came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere, and then it got a $91 million contract from the Venezuelan government. Then we're talking about Sequoia, which was a U.S.-based um, voting machine system firm or company. And then uh, we, have, uh, we have Smartmatic purchasing Sequoia, okay? So let's take a brief look at Sequoia, because we got bigger fish to fry here. All right, so Sequoia. For Sequoia, I actually have a report uh, and this is from Voter Action. I'm not aware of what type of group this is other than an election integrity group. Uh, so let's see what they have to say about Sequoia so we can kind of uh, get a little bit of their history under our belts. Uh, so this says uh, Sequoia. Actually, I could probably expand this and move it over just a little bit more. There we go. Uh, Sequoia Voting Systems Incorporated uses a vote counting software developed owned and licensed by foreign-owned Smartmatic, a company linked to Venezuelan government of Hugo Chavez. So let's see if we can figure out by the time we get to Dominion who owns 
who owns the intellectual property of Smartmatic and Sequoia? Because that's going to be, that's a toss up here right now. So where we are at this point, we're going to look at Sequoia, but the toss up right now is Smartmatic owned Sequoia at one point and then Dominion owned Sequoia. So both of these two and Smartmatic and Dominion are the two largest on the market. Like they are competitors by nature, uh, even though they have licensed to each other technologies, but we'll get into that. So uh, let's look at this real quick. I'm going to skip this paragraph, even though it's highlighted. This just tells you about uh, the CFIUS, um, um, the CFIUS investigation that never happened, and then also how they're a danger and Hugo owns them, etc. Okay, so it says down here. Okay, so uh, here's where we're talking about. Uh, Heart InterCivic. So Heart InterCivic, uh, another voting system, one that was used in Texas, comes into play. It says, uh, court fight between Smartmatic and Sequoia over proposed Heart InterCivic takeover of Sequoia reveals Smartmatic ownership of vote counting software in Sequoia voting machines. Remember at the uh, conclusion of the article that we just read, that they said through a lawsuit, they found out that uh, Smartmatic did not own Sequoia's intellectual property. So who does, right? Smartmatic's ownership of the vote counting software and Sequoia voting machines came to light in litigation over an offer by Heart InterCivic to purchase the outstanding loan and earn out provisions agreement that Sequoia Voting Systems maintains with its former parent company, Smartmatic. Counsel for Heart InterCivic represented in court that Smartmatic still owned the software used in Sequoia voting machines and would license that software to Heart InterCivic upon its takeover of Sequoia. According to the court, Counsel for Heart InterCivic declared that Sequoia currently uses Smartmatic's intellectual property currently found in Sequoia's machines pursuant to certain license agreements. Furthermore, Sequoia takes the position that Smartmatic's ownership of the Sequoia voting machine software and any interact control by Smartmatic over Sequoia is inconsistent with agreements made with federal government. Sequoia points out in litigation over the Hart proposed takeover of Sequoia that Hart promises not to compete with Smartmatic in Latin America, the Philippines, and Belgium. In return, Smartmatic promises to grant a Heart InterCivic grant to Heart InterCivic a license to use its intellectual property currently found in Sequoia's machines. Sequoia maintained this Smart uh, Smartmatic Heart Agreement would breach Sequoia's agreements with the Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States and other government agencies. Specifically, SVS maintain that if Hart's agreement not to compete in Latin America, the Philippines, and Belgium is honored, Smartmatic has exercised indirect control over Sequoia in violation of agreements with the government. Similarly, SVS maintains that the proposal that Smartmatic have co-ownership rights in all intellectual property owned by Smartmatic with respect to Sequoia products certified in the United States, compels the post-sale Sequoia to breach its agreement with the government. Thus, according to Sequoia, Smartmatic currently owns the software inside Sequoia voting machines 
and Smartmatic's indirect control over Sequoia and continued ownership of software used to count votes in Sequoia voting machines would violate Sequoia's agreement with the federal government. So at this point, Smartmatic owns Sequoia. Heart Intercivic wants to buy it, but they find out that Smartmatic still owns that intellectual property. Okay, uh, this part just talks about how Sequoia voting machines are vulnerable. Very interesting story here about um, about uh, some elections. I think it was in Chicago. And uh, basically what happens is there's a big foible. And uh, guess, guess who comes? Guess who comes to fix the Sequoia machines? They fly in 15 Venezuelans to come and fix the machines. Okay, and they're like, what the heck? And so that's where you're, you're talking about... Uh, them still being, you know, they bring back Hugo Chavez and then the question about if it's Venezuelans, is it Venezuelans who are like running the show here? Is it really Venezuelans? I don't know. I think we'll, we'll find out a little bit more. Something tells me it's probably not Venezuelans. Something tells me it's probably, like they said, all of these shell companies and firms, uh, but you don't really know who they are. I don't know why, but something tells me it's probably China, but don't take that to the bank, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Uh, next up here. Now we'll get to Dominion. Okay. Dominion. A lot more information on Dominion. All right. Let's get this going. Okay. So for this article on Dominion, we're going to go back to the Epoch Times. And we're going to wrap this one up with the Epoch Times. Or wrap up the Epoch Times for this. At least for the time being. Let me uh, get this going. Okay. Okay. All right, let me see how I'm doing on time. Okay, I think we can get through this. Now we're going to skis, 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 down. All the way down, 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 down. There we go. The wheel stops slowly. Dominion voting systems. Okay. It says... Some Smartmatic employees later joined Dominion Voting Systems, which was founded in Toronto in 2002 and also has offices in the United States and Serbia. In 2010, Eric Coomer, former Smartmatic Vice President of Engineering, joined Dominion. According to a Dominion statement that has since been all but scrubbed from the internet, aside from a file saved by a journalist, Brad Friedman, the company announced on June 4th, 2010, that it had acquired the assets of Sequoia Voting Systems, a major U.S. provider of voting solutions serving nearly 300 jurisdictions in 16 states. So this is where Dominion buys Sequoia. Oh, my bad. Let me go ahead and expand that. Hehe. <laughs> Uh, and it says here, as part of the transaction, Dominion acquired Sequoia's inventory and all intellectual property, including software, firmware, and hardware for Sequoia's precinct and central count optical scans and DRE voting solutions, including BPS, WinEdge, Edge, Edge 2, Advantage, Insight, Insight Plus, and 400C systems, the release states. That is Dominion's building in Toronto. That is their Denver building office, office building. Dominion will also retain Sequoia's facilities in Denver, Colorado, and San Leandro, California, and will consolidate Sequoia's Jamestown, New York facility with Dominion's existing Jamestown facility. The release continues. 
Dominion has hired Sequoia's customer service and technical personnel to ensure capable, experienced, and responsive customers service for all current Sequoia jurisdictions. The release notes that Dominion's acquisition of Sequoia's assets was reviewed by the Justice Department and nine state attorneys general. It was also reviewed and approved by CFIUS, C-F-I-U-S. According to a July 2009 press release distributed by Business Wire, Sequoia and Dominion at one point also signed a temporary contract with New York State for the purchase of voting equipment and related services to Dominion Voting, with Dominion assuming all of Sequoia's obligations under the contract. The release states the financial details of the transaction are not being disclosed by the parties. However, both Sequoia and Dominion are pleased with the outcome of this agreement. In 2012, the connection between Dominion and Smartmatic was highlighted again in a lawsuit. Smartmatic filed the suit in the Delaware Court of Chancery against Dominion for the company's alleged breach of a licensing agreement and tortious interference with Smartmatic's business, according to a company statement. The lawsuit is seeking compensation from Dominion for allegedly withholding technology and services that had been licensed to Smartmatic and for Dominion's intentional actions to denigrate Smartmatic's brand and undermine its relationship with customers and prospects. The release stated, The case reportedly was settled out of court. In 2009, Dominion and Smartmatic entered into a contract in which Dominion provided Smartmatic with optical scanning machines used in the 2010 Philippines election, which at the time was the biggest automated election run by a private company. Glitches on Smartmatic's machine also took place in the Philippines election as detailed in one report by ABS-CBN. Both companies' reputations suffered as a result of heavily publicized litigation relating to a software glitch that was resolved just before the 2010 election, and that litigation rumbled onto, a partly, rumbled onto partly affect the midterm elections in 2013, according to a report published in Access Wire. This history suggests that Dominion and Smartmatic each owned Sequoia at different points in time, and that the intellectual property of Smartmatic remains with Sequoia. It's unclear whether Dominion used Sequoia software in the recent U.S. elections. Okay, so interesting point here. According to this article, the intellectual property of Smartmatic is with Sequoia. Okay, A number of Venezuelan individuals who worked for Sequoia also allegedly worked for Smartmatic and Dominion, and had become contractors for each of the companies. They are moving around in there, an intelligent source knowledge, knowledgeable on Venezuelan and its alleged criminal activities told the Epoch Times. Smartmatic machines allowed them to mirror the system. They can see live how much they were losing by, the source asserted. They can see live how much they were losing by. They tell you you would need to produce 30,000 votes, and it has the ability to switch votes. Then you balance it on your own with fake ballots. There have also been numerous issues with Sequoia's voting software reported by a number of news outlets over the years. One of the problems took place in October 2006 
when Sequoia, then a Denver voting machine contractor, had to send letters to 44,000 voters warning of a mistake on absentee ballots after they found the yes and no boxes on a ballot question were transposed. Staple Street Capital, a private equity firm located in New York, purchased Dominion in 2018, according to a press release. Staple Street Capital purchased them in 18. The securities firm that arranged the transaction, UBS Securities LLC, is a division of UBS Americas Incorporated, which ultimately falls under UBS Group AG, a company listed on the Six Swiss Stock Exchange. Three out of four board members of UBS Securities LLC are Chinese, at least one whom appears to reside in Hong Kong, according to Bloomberg. UBS says it was one of the first international banks to have a local presence in China in the 1990s. In 2012, it informed the current company, UBS Securities Company Limited, which it says is the first foreign invested fully licensed securities firm in China. Officials with Dominion did not immediately respond to a request by the Epoch Times for comment. On its website, Dominion has information under a specific subhead refuting any connection between Dominion, Smartmatic, and Sequoia. Dominion and Smartmatic are two separate companies that make electronic voting systems. Dominion does not use or license Smartmatic software. Smartmatic has also refuted such claims. Dominion did not acquire Smartmatic and or its software from Sequoia, the website states. John R. Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy strategy and international affairs at the office of the Security of Secretary of Defense, told the Epoch Times, There is this interesting intersection with legacy software or firmware developers in Venezuela and the current state of voting machines, including Dominion. Venezuela has a solid footprint of Chinese, Russian, and Iranian activities for influence operations in the Americas. For those to not have an intersection would be odd. Smartmatic spokesperson Saba told the Epoch Times that the company has nothing to add aside from the statements published on its website because those statements are the facts. Its website refutes any connections with Dominion or Sequoia. One bullet point the spokesperson lists in an email is that the company's role in the 2020 U.S. elections was limited to the country, to the county of Los Angeles. What? That makes no sense. Saba said in an email to another reporter, There are no ties between Dominion Voting Systems and Smartmatic, plain and simple. No ownership ties, no software licensing, no business at all between them. In 2009, Smartmatic licensed scanning machines from Dominion for use in the Philippines for a Smartmatic election project. That short-lived contract was the first and last time that Smartmatic and Dominion tried to do business together. Smartmatic sold election technology and services in Venezuela from 2004 until 2017. The Epoch Times visited Dominion's offices in Denver and Toronto, which both appear to be abandoned. The news outlet was denied entry into Smartmatic's uh, office in Florida. Isn't it interesting how this all kind of goes round and round, right? Aha! Burke, there's a guy named Eric Coomer who did an awesome cover for Ice Ice. <laughs> uh, Eric Coomer, like, 
lost his temper uh, when they deposed Dominion. Like, he totally was like, this is... Yeah, he, like, went off the rails. Uh, but, okay, so... Uh, Dominion purchased Diebold. Dominion purchases Premier. They purchased Sequoia. They get the lion's share of the market. But then you, you read in that last article where they were denying... Uh, the uh, relationship between the intellectual property of Sequoia and and uh, Smartmatic, and that they never uh, did any business with Smartmatic, and they're they already proven to be liars, and they're like that was the one and only time that we did it. Anyways, so uh, this article here from uh, the dishonorable mention, the Huffington Post, um, isn't it funny, guys? Like this was published uh, like during I think when was it published? Oh, this was in 2010. Interesting. Interesting that they would publish an article like this uh, during that time period. But uh, yeah, so, uh, well, they got it from another place. I'm pretty sure there's a root source to this that's not the Huffington Post. Um, it's a big, long article. On heels of Diebold Premier purchase, Canadian e-voting firm Dominion also acquires Sequoia. It lies about Chavez ties in its announcement. So we're not going to read all of this, but we're going to go straight down to the question of who owns the intellectual property, the IP that Dominion, of Sequoia that Dominion now has. And they actually dig into this. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's uh, see what they got to say. Okay. Uh, so who's intellectual property? There are a few more points concerning Dominion's purchase of Sequoia worth flagging here for now. The first and perhaps most disturbing concerns the following announcement in Dominion's press release upon the purchase of Sequoia. As part of the transaction, Dominion has acquired Sequoia's inventory and all intellectual property, including software, firmware, and hardware for Sequoia's precinct and central, central count optical scan and DRE voting solutions. Uh, and we, etc. We actually read that already. Uh, that statement is an out and out lie, one which continues to propagate a years long deception of the public, the media, and election officials about Sequoia themselves. As longtime readers of this blog will recall, the matter of the true ownership of intellectual property of Sequoia's voting systems was not at all what the company had represented to the public to media, to election official customers, and even courts of law. As part of a detailed investigative expose series in 2008, as we broke the story of Hart InterCivic's quietly attempted hostile takeover of Sequoia, we revealed the fact that, despite representations to the contrary, possibly even to U.S. government investigators, the intellectual property for the vast majority nearly entirety of Sequoia's voting systems was actually secretly owned by the Hugo Chavez-tied Venezuelan-based firm Smartmatic. So this is saying that Sequoia Smartmatic still owned their intellectual property, okay? And that Dominion, who now purchased Sequoia, was still beholden to Smartmatic in that regard. The continuing control of the intellectual property was discovered long after the largely white, re white right-wing outrage which had forced a federal investigation into Smartmatic's control over American elections had died down. The initial concern had, coming had come following revelations that Smartmatic seemed to be directly tied to the Venezuelan President Chavez. 
Angry sentiment led by CNN's Lou Dobbs and some members of Congress, including New York's Democrat-Republican Carolyn Maloney, led uh, to an investigation by Federal Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, subsequently forcing Smartmatic to divest of Sequoia. Sequoia was then supposedly purchased away from Smartmatic by a U.S. team of its U.S. executives in order to make it fully independent from the Chavez-Tide parent company. But that divestiture was a lie. Sequoia had not publicly disclosed that Smartmatic still retained legal ownership of the IP used in all of their voting machines, a fact that was not publicly revealed until our expose, which forced a subsequent admission by Sequoia's then CEO and President Jack Blaine. Blaine admitted in what he thought was a confidential company-wide conference call convened to explain the attempted heart takeover to employees after they'd read the news on the blog that the company had not actually acquired the intellectual property from Smartmatic in their deal. Subsequently, um, they, we detailed how Blaine had utterly dissembled on that point in writing while under very specific questioning about it from one of Sequoia's largest clients, the city of Chicago and Cook County, Illinois. So who now owns the IP for Sequoia's voting machines used in some 20% of the United States? If you believe Dominion's press release, which states Dominion has acquired Sequoia's inventory and all intellectual property, that would be Dominion. But that is simply not true. Dominion's Riggle admitted directly in a follow-up reply email after we'd sent a direct query on this point, Smartmatic IP was not included in the Sequoia transaction since Sequoia did not own it. So if anybody ever tells you that there is no connection between Dominion and Smartmatic... Smartmatic still owns the intellectual property that Dominion supposedly purchased from Sequoia, which means if Dominion is still using Sequoia's machines or their software, ultimately that intellectual property is not theirs, which means there is a tie. But then the question is, who owns Smartmatic? Hmm. Despite Dominion's asserted belief in transparency, Riggle was unable to share the company's two purchase agreements with us due to non-disclosure provisions in both of them. Legally, he wrote, neither can be shared. Nonetheless, the answer is clear. Venezuela's, Venezuela's Hugo Chavez is still tied to a huge percentage of U.S. elections as now overseen by a Canadian firm. When we asked Riggle for the company's explanation for their misleading press release announcing that Sequoia transaction included all intellectual property when it actually didn't, he offered this Hoitian response. The Smartmatic IP is Smartmatic IP. Sequoia did not own it, and thus it was not part of the transaction. Dominion purchased all of the IP that Sequoia owned. That was what was reflected in the news release. According to the Dominion press release, if the rest of it can be believed, 
The Sequoia purchase was reviewed by the U.S. Department of Justice and nine state attorneys general, and also reviewed in detail and received approval by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Unfortunately, federal CFIUS investigations are held entirely in secret, so we are unable to find out from them whether the federal body was informed of Smartmatic's continuing ownership of the intellectual property and all the legal rights and privileges that go with it as employed to conduct some 20% of United States elections. Were the DOJ or any of those nine attorneys general made aware of Smartmatic's continuing ownership of the IP? Do any of the 26 million U.S. voters, including the city of Chicago and Cook County, Illinois, the state of Louisiana, the state of Nevada, and the majority of counties in California who use Sequoia systems, according to the Dominion announcement, know about it? Do they even care? How about the folks on the right who were so outraged before? Two inquiries to wriggle. On whether CFIUS, DOJ, or the nine states' attorneys general were informed of Smartmatic's continuing ownership of the Dominion Sequoia IP were sent, neither was answered. Uh, the last query was sent on June 12th, and neither Riggle nor any else, anyone else from Dominion bothered to answer that simple question. The revolving election industry door. One last point worth noting for now on all of this. The appalling revolving door of U.S. electoral control and administration continues to spin, along with the compromise of federal and localized oversight. Think the oil industry's corruption of federal regulatory commissions was bad in light of the BP disaster? Big oil has nothing on big elections. But because the U.S. media has not bothered to cover the gusher of corruption spewing into the American electoral system, neither has the U.S. public. When we had questions about Dominion's acquisitions of Sequoia, we called the contact number given for information as offered on their press release. Happy to find we would not be charged for an international call to Canada, we wondered why the number had a 404 area code in Atlanta, Georgia. When we called it, we found out as we reached Riggle's answering machine. With the exception of the very important point about whether Dominion had informed Cepheus the U.S. DOJ, and the nine state attorneys general about the true IP ownership of their, their voting systems, Riggle is very helpful and quick to respond. However, as mentioned, Riggle had formally served as the press representative for Diebold, and prior to that, as the press secretary to Georgia's Democrat Secretary of State, Kathy Cox, until she left the post. In 2002, Long before she left office, following an unsuccessful primary bid for her party's gubernatorial nomination in 2006, Cox infamously brought Diebold's horrendous touchscreen voting system to the entire state of Georgia. The Peach State, along with Maryland, was the first to adopt statewide use of Diebold's infamous, oft-failed, easily manipulated, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system. Chicanery with the system has been the subject of much controversy, fueled in part by a company whistleblower as detailed by Bobby Kennedy Jr. at Rolling Stone in 2006 in regard to the declared upset victory of Republican Saxby Chambliss over the incumbent, then Democrat Senator Max Cleland. Cox also took the opportunity along with her state's acquisition of Diebold Systems to grace the cover of Diebold's sales brochure as seen below. 
to help the company sell more easily hacked, often failed, always unverifiable e-voting systems to an unsuspecting, uninformed nation. Surprisingly, Cox does not know, does not now work for a voting machine company. Now, uh, she's president of Young Harris College in Georgia, as so many other election officials do so Im uh, immediately upon leaving office, the most recent being Pennsylvania Secretary of State Pedro Cortez, who suddenly resigned a few weeks ago to become executive vice president at the ironically named internet voting company Everyone Counts. That company already boasts the name of Chief Operating Officer Paul DeGregorio, who took the job upon leaving his post as George W. Bush's chairman of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. As, uh, as this blog reported in 2009, DeGregorio immediately used his former position as America's chief election official in a cheesy video sales pitch for the firm to help push their insecure and unoverseeable internet voting scheme to a still unsuspecting and still dreadfully underinformed American public. Meanwhile, last year, Dominion had already hired away Sequoia's VP, Edwin Smith. Readers of this blog may remember the woeful Smith as the one who'd first sent threat letters to Princeton computer scientists promising legal action if they independently reviewed Sequoia's voting machines after the system had been found to have miscounted in a New Jersey election. He then upped the public blunder by hiring his own buddy and longtime Sequoia contractor bagman to carry out an independent third-party review instead. Smith's independent hire, in addition to being anything but independent, was subsequently revealed to have had a um, somewhat unsavory, if amusing, background. After we revealed all of the chicanery, the hire was fired and Smith was disciplined by the company, but apparently he's still welcome at Dominion, now one of the largest e-voting e firms in the United States, and maybe even in Venezuela. And even more shamefully, last December, Smith was even be, uh, even be welcomed onto the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. As we reported last year, Smith, now VP of Compliance and Certification for Dominion, was disgracefully appointed to the EAC's Technical Guidelines Development Committee as one of their new technical and scientific experts, as we wrote at the time. This would be the equivalent of appointing the sitting vice president of ExxonMobil to an EPA advisory committee. Okay, guys. Well, let's, let's, let's just uh, wrap this up here. So Smith went from voting machine company Heart Intercivic to voting machine company Sequoia Voting Systems and is now at voting machine company Dominion Voting Systems, where he is VP selling e-voting systems to jurisdictions around the company country that receive federal money doled out by the EAC. And now he'll also sit on an advisory board at the EAC, helping to advise which one of those companies sees their systems certified for use in the U.S. elections by the EAC. Isn't that disgusting, guys? Oh, my God. Oh, my. Oh, my days. I mean, that's the kind of uh, chicanery that we do quite often see within the system, like from uh, from three letter agency to uh, to uh, to Capitol Hill and then back to, uh, you know, some kind of regulatory firm or agency that's government run. It's totally disgusting. Um, OK, so. 
we're almost done here, guys. Here's a, one of the last things that we're going to consider for tonight. Uh, there is just so much more, guys. Like, it is crazy. Okay. So much more. We're almost done, though. We're, al we're in the home stretch, y'all. Um, so this article here, this is from G News. And this is another article that just gives you the rundown on some of the history of these uh, voting machines companies. Uh, this is where we talk about Dominion again. So this one I thought was was worth the read. Like, this is where we start talking about, like, they're starting to name names about who's working at the companies and who's going back and forth. Yeah, it's Emperor Palpatine. Who's going back and forth uh, between companies and, you know, uh, government agencies, etc., um, this one has a little bit more uh, light on who's behind Dominion. Because already Dominion's operating machines that um, Smartmatic owns the IP for. So we don't even know what that's all about, right? Like, I mean, you know, there's another Epoch Times article that talks about how uh, UBS, again, there there's like four members on their board that are from China that are Chinese, you know, like who's to say that they didn't open up this firm in Brussels or wherever in Europe that paid, um, you know, Smartmatic to come into existence. And then, you know, they go to Venezuela, one of their communist allies, and then they give them a $91 million contract. And then that's the rest is history. Like they, they've got their money, they've got their feet in the ground and now they can do what they want to do. Okay, uh, this is Sequoia. Show me Dominion. All right, let's go. Hooray. Um, it's down here. It's down here. Okay. So much about Sequoia. There's a lot of information and like details in some of these articles. I was actually surprised to find as much. But again, this is all like pre-2016 stuff, guys. Like, people have known about the history of these companies for a long time and down to the details, and yet no one believed Sidney Powell. What the hell's up with that, right? Okay. Uh, everyone was like, she's she's a, she's a nut, right-wing nutbag. Like, what is she talking about? Like, that's not true. Uh, Dominion Voting Machines in Canada. And uh, thank you, Sean Joe, for the cookie. Much appreciated, sir. Okay. So is Dominion voting part of something much bigger? Uh, to recap, Dominion Voting Machines, or systems, founded in 2002 in Toronto, is a company that sells electronic voting hardware and software in the United States and Canada. Dominion Voting Systems is one of the three major voting software products uh, that we was used in the 2020 U.S. election along with systems from Election System and Software, ES&S, and Heart InterCivic. Key individuals at Dominion are associated with the Carlyle Group, a U.S. multinational private equity alternative asset management and financial services firm with more than $203 billion in assets under management. Carlyle Group, there's a name I have not heard in a while. Who is behind the Carlyle Group? Now, uh, this was interesting to me because the other thing that we, a lot of us might remember is uh, people talking about Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein and the likes, like owning stock or et cetera in like Dominion or Smartmatic. Well, there's a whole bunch of fact check debunkers 
articles about that. And so um, what they said was it's not Nancy Pelosi. It was actually Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff or former chief of staff at this point that owned stock in these companies. Okay. But the way that the fact checkers like deflated that issue was by saying, well, yeah, Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff owned stock in these companies, but so did Dick Cheney. <laughs> They're like, so did Dick Cheney. And who is the other one? They named two, they, they named two rhinos that own stock in these companies. It was Dick Cheney and uh, it might have been Mittens Romney, maybe, but, but like, because of the fact that a Republican owned stock in this also was totally supposed to like demystify that fact, which to us, we know they play for the same team. That actually is, is pretty vital information, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Your name and Dick Cheney, of course, that's just as bad as the, if not worse than the chief of staff for Nancy Pelosi. So I don't know what they were trying to uh, accomplish with that fact check, but if anything, they proved us even more right than we might have wanted to be. So the Carlisle Group. In April 2003, Carlisle Capital was managed by a team of former U.S. government personnel, including President Frank Carlucci, former deputy director of the CIA, former Secretary of Defense James Baker III, who served on George W. Bush's Board of Governors, and James Baker, uh, James Baker III, who served on uh, the Board of Directors of the National Security Agency. The financial assets of the Saudi Bin Laden Corporation were also managed by the Carlyle Group before the 9-11 attack, terrorist attack in New York. Many influential individuals have worked for our worked for or invested in the group, including John Major, former UK Prime Minister, Fidel Ramos, former Philippines President, Park Tae-jun, former South Korean Prime Minister, Saudi Prince Al-Walid, Colin, Colin Powell, Colin Powell, Colin Powell, <laughs> former Secretary of State, James Baker III, former Secretary of State, Kaspar Weinberger, former Defense Secretary, Richard Darman, former White House Budget Director, the billionaire George Soros, Bin Laden family members, Alice Albright, daughter of Madeleine Albright, former Secretary of State, Arthur Lewitt, former SEC head, William Kennard, former head of the FCC, Carl Otto Pohl, former Bunsbank president, Henry, Mar uh, Henry Marte, Martyr, uh, former president of Aerospatial, and Bilderberg Steering Committee member Etienne Davignon. So all of these, uh, we know the Carlisle Group, guys. And this is like old, like, rhino, warhawk, like, globalist, elitist filth right here. Um, and um, it appears that uh, they have association with a lot of people at Dominion. And I wouldn't uh, doubt that that goes into uh, other other uh, other key elements here. Let's see what this says here. It says, uh, key individuals at Dominion are connected with the Carlisle Group, whose influential investors and employees are members of the swamp that Washington, D.C. has been sinking into for over 30 years. In May 2010, Dominion acquired Premier Election Solutions from Election Systems and Software, 
and in June 2010 acquired Sequoia Holdings, which at the time had multiple voting systems controlled by Smartmatic in 16 states and 300 jurisdictions of the United States. As a result, Dominion grew rapidly and achieved the second largest market share for a voting system in the United States. So the question is, who created and developed the software used in the voting machines sold by the merged Dominion Sequoia entity? Who controls that code? I don't know what this is. Sidney Powell dropped this, I guess, back in the day. Dominion Voting Systems is really just a vector. Big question. Who created the software? Hashtag CIA. Hashtag Hammer. Hashtag Scorecard. Who provided it to Venezuela? Who authorized its export to other countries? Title 50 Lethal Finding. Hmm. I think that's the conclusion of this article. Now, if I'm not mistaken... I feel like the answer to who created Hammer and Scorecard is in the documentary called Shadowgate. I'm going to have to go back and review that because they talked about Hammer and Scorecard and early models of that. And that that was, well, it would have been the military actually that created it. And then, because then they, because, well... (laughs) Would that be Patrick Berge? Because he was one of the guys who created it. And then uh, they didn't sell the licensing to the military. So then they took that... They took that program and they turned it into... uh, According to that documentary, they they turned it into, like, you know, something that they could sell. Like, ha, that's interesting, guys. Ooh, boy. I don't know. I mean, that's interesting. I don't know where to, my head's spinning right now with that information, but I mean, that's like, this is all the stuff that has been erased in the last four or five years that people now call us loons over and conspiracy theorists, but there is the history of it. And apparently whatever systems that Dominion still use to this day, if they are Sequoia, they're Smartmatic. So that goes into, uh, you know, who owns that, you know, and where is that information going? Who owns the code, as they put? Okay, I believe this is the last article for tonight. Um, Something after this could probably really trip y'all's heads, but most of you probably already read the article that I might be referencing. But uh, hold on. Let me just get a setup here. Ah, wrong one. You guys can't see what I'm doing. Ah. Uh, Okay, last article for tonight, guys. And this one... Is uh, the Epoch Times again. Don't forget. They came under direct threat from Dominion. And that's why they, uh, in my opinion, don't uh, report on election theft fraud in 2020. At least they didn't play it as bad as Newsmask did, I guess is all I'm thinking. Dominion part of council that disputed election integrity concerns in DHS statement. This article here is about how the government created the uh, Cyber Infrastructure Security and uh, Awareness Agency, CISA, okay? And then... 
when they created that, they created councils of people who have knowledge and elections, etc., to create and to steer election security in this country. I would recommend reading Devolution Part 5, guys. And it goes into all of this, like, big chunk right there. Big chunk, okay? Uh, but this is uh, an article published by Epoch Times that exposes that. So after allegations emerged that called into question the integrity of voting machines produced by Dominion Voting Systems, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, part of the Department of Homeland Security, issued a statement on November 12th disputing the allegations, saying the November 3rd elections was the most secure in American history, for which Chris Krebs got fired by Trump. What the agency failed to disclose, however, is that Dominion is a member of CISA's Election Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Council, one of two entities that authored the statement put out by CISA. And there is a list of all of the companies. Now, I don't know if you guys have read Devolution. I'm not done with it yet. But uh, on this council, you had Amazon Web Services, Associated Press, uh, Demtech Voting Solutions, Democracy Live, Democracy Works, Dominion Voting Systems, Election Systems and Software, um, Electronic Registration Information Center, ERIC, which has uh, recently come under fire for being uh, funded by George Soros. Uh, you had Heart InterCivic. You had Microsoft. You have uh, Pro V, one of the only two companies that are certified to certify and decertify and audit elections by the EAC. Okay. You had Runbeck Election Services, which is the printing business used in Georgia and Arizona that sometimes had mysterious vans pop up at precincts to drop off ballots. And then they also mailed out ballots and mailed out uh, and, and they handled the mail service for the ballots during the Arizona specifically in that one for sure. So Runbeck's already part of this. Okay. You also had Seidel. You had SLI Compliance, who is the second only uh, second other only business that is allowed to do uh, uh, auditing and certifications and all that by the EAC. You had Smartmatic. You had the Canton Group. You had Vote Tech. You had Voting Works VR Systems. So all of these guys, all, that list right there, it's in Devolution. Yeah, you're right. It's it's laughable. It makes me sick, Sonia. All of these entities, okay that have been exposed for being part of this cover-up were part of the council that gave recommendations, steered, authored the security of elections in our 2020 election. And then if you go on to read the rest of Devolution, the very next year after the elections, they changed the council to... Uh, let me, let me read it again. They changed the name to Election Infrastructure Government Sector Coordinating Council. So it no longer includes private companies. Now it's government run. Therein is the cover up. So that was the most intriguing part of the Devolution series I'd read so far, but I'm only on part seven. So anyways, okay. So uh, more good stuff I'm hearing is coming out of that. But uh, I'll talk about that more when I'm I'm finished with it. I could talk about it now, but you know. Um, okay, we'll finish up here, guys, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Ah, wrong one, 
Wrong button. Okay, there we go. Okay, still got time. Uh, so it says, in addition, Smartmatic, a separate voting machine company that has been the subject of additional concerns, is another member. The agency did not immediately respond to requests by the Epoch Times for comment on whether Dominion and Smartmatic had input or were otherwise involved in CISA's November 12th statement. The joint statement on the integrity of the November 3rd election was issued by the Executive Committee of the Election Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council, which represents a coalition of certain state and local government officials and government agencies, and the Election Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Council, a coalition primarily composed of voting systems manufacturers that also includes Democracy Works and an organization that promotes the use of technology to boost voter participation. The statement claims there is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. While we know there are many unfounded claims and opportunities for misinformation about the process of our elections, we can assure you we have the utmost confidence in the security and integrity of our elections, and you should too. Some of the allegations surrounding the integrity of the presidential election, including by President Donald Trump's legal team, have focused on the voting systems provided by Dominion and, to a lesser extent, Smartmatic. Both Dominion and Smartmatic have dismissed concerns over their systems, both companies are listed as members of CISA's Sector Coordinating Council and appear to be actively involved as they are named as organizing members of the SEC. Among the key objectives of the SEC is to serve as the primary liaison between the election subsector and federal, state, and local agencies, including the Department of Homeland Security, concerning private election subsector security and emergency preparedness issues. The Council's charter states that its primary mission is to advance the physical security physical security, cyber security, and emergency preparedness of the nation's election infrastructure in accordance with existing U.S. law, and that this mission will be accomplished through voluntary actions of the infrastructure owners and operators represented in the council. The most interesting part about that was that through, the, um, through all these agencies... And a few that are not listed here, like the government chose to overlook any type of uh, ethical questions or any uh, type of um, uh, any type of um, concerns about conflict, you know, between the agency and them being a business. And then let's not forget that they're actually being purchased and used in the States. Right. And uh, any kind of conflict of interest. Because it, this was defined as like national security. And then it also absolved them of being looked into or investigated because there's like, like it's four clauses hidden. You have to read Devolution 5. It's like four clauses hidden in all of these like bylaws and regulations that you find out that they have no accountability. Um, so they're allowed to run it. They're allowed to provide, uh, you know guidance on the security physical cyber security all of that on top of everything else that we know about it so it's uh it's crazy it's it this is insane um the way that this worked <laughs> uh, it's really insane um but i would recommend reading devolution 5 guys in that case because that is a uh, that explains it and it's it's a it's a big read and uh, we've already been here for over three hours, guys, so we're probably not going to read that tonight. 
Dominion using CISA to deny allegations. Yeah, they say CISA said it was secure. We're good, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's crazy, guys. And again, this is where we see the death of the Epoch Times reporting. Um, what do you call it? Uh, reporting uh, anything about election fraud or 2020. Because um, they had a lot. They had a lot of articles about it. So uh, it's rather interesting. Anyhow, guys. All right. We're going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Oh, boy. This was fun. Uh, I hope that makes up for yesterday. We took you to Russia, Ukraine, and then we took you right back to the States to the root of our problems or one of them anyways. But uh, all right, guys. Well, we will be back with another edition of the Sea Report next week. Don't forget, tomorrow we have President Trump's rally in uh, Conroe, Texas. Now, um, that should be a fun time. We're going to have a lot of Texas representation taking the stage with Trump. Feel free to join us here at Mr. C TV or at the Mr. C channel, whatever platform you're on. We go by both names. And uh, I think we'll probably be live about 5, 5.30 Central Texas time. And uh, we will definitely hold the door open for you guys. Don't forget to bring your snacks. It's going to be a great time. And then, of course, I just like to say my prayers for the safety and security of everyone present at tomorrow's rally go out with love, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, you never know in this day and age what you could expect. WC Cranop, thank you for the cookie. Railanon, thank you for the cookie. Uh, let's see. You have a great night, ladies and gentlemen. Aurelius Locke, Sonia JHC, Connie Ketchup. Hey, girl, what's up? I didn't see you in there. Good to see you. And uh, who else we got? CJM61, how's it going? Sorry, we were doing some heavy reading today. Oh, boy, man. If you were here all three hours, you guys get extra gold stars because that was a lot of stuff to uh, really sit through. I told you, I'm not, I'm one of those instructors that gives you homework on the weekend. Skeeter Burke, you stayed awake. Goody, I, my, I didn't put you to sleep. <laughs> I was telling you a bedtime story. Okay, guys, we are out and out. Pilled by the rabbit, you have a great night. BT Triangle, you too. And Curious Cat, you have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Till then, guys, as always, y'all have a great night. Be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We will see you manana.